0: Bell, somewhere in time. Tonight featuring Coast to Coast AM from July 31st, 1995.
1: From the high desert and the great American Southwest, radiating from Tahiti and the Hawaiian Islands, going west to the Caribbean and the U.S. Virgin Islands in the east, south well into South America, and north, we fully believe, to the North Pole. We'll have to wait and get a report on that one but I'm sure it makes it. This is Coast to Coast AM, keeping the name, getting bigger, just deciding it includes other coasts. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you. It's a brand new week. I'm Art Bell, and this is live, unscreened, talk radio. Now, we are welcoming, let me see, KVNA AM Flagstaff, Arizona, to the network. Hello, everybody in Flagstaff. Big one. Ten kilowatts on 600 from Flagstaff. And that was kind of, a, kind of a little bit of a hole where it was hard to hear down there. Not anymore. W-A-R-A-A-M in Attleboro, Massachusetts. Now, this also is a big one. 5 KW uh, blazing into Providence, Rhode Island on 1320. Attleboro, Massachusetts, Providence, Rhode Island, welcome. and W.A.Z.L. in Hazleton, Pennsylvania. How about that? Hazleton, Pennsylvania, uh, 1490 on the dial. Also, welcome to the network as we continue to grow at an outrageous rate. 200, here we come. There's going to be a big party here in... uh, We think uh, a few days, actually. Let us begin with Roswell once again this evening, because I have Congressman Schiff on the phone, Stephen Schiff from New Mexico. Now, for those of you that know about Roswell, you already know about Congressman Schiff. Um, I think the best way to tell the story is to those who don't, is to just simply get them on the air. And the genesis of how all this began. Congressman Schiff, welcome to Coast to Coast AM.
2: Good morning, Art. Thank you for having me on your program.
1: Well, um, I think you're a good person to get up at two, uh, after 2 o'clock in the morning back there. Well,
2: now. let me say first, I, I know we owe you one. I want to uh, say to to you and to your listeners, I apologize. I was supposed to be on last evening, and uh, a, a miscommunication solely on our side.
1: Well, uh, that's I all right. didn't
2: realize it was confirmed, so... Th- so Glad
1: to be on tonight. Uh, Glad to have you. And I know it's a particular stress because I know you're on the Waco uh, hearings committee and I I think uh, they uh, they on occasion go all night. Congress goes all night. And so it's rough. Um, All right. Congressman, let's go back a little bit before we get to what's happened and one of the reasons I want to have you on. How in the world did you get involved um, in the beginning in all of this? In other words, why call for an investigation Mm -hmm. into what happened in Roswell? What? Piqued your interest?
2: Well, first, I just want to get in our one thing, and hope we we can get to it at some point. But this is just for listeners in New Mexico. Uh, there was a uh, article in the in the Albuquerque Journal Saturday morning, written by a gentleman named Richard Parker, who's the Al- Albuquerque Journal's Washington correspondent, mm-hmm. about the general accounting report that I released, received Friday and released Friday. It states my conclusion that this was a balloon, and I have never stated any conclusion. So, to say the least, this article is way off. So, uh, at, at the appropriate time, I'd like to go back and.
1: Oh, we, what I did we say, absolutely but, will. <laughs> but,
2: but starting at the beginning, as you asked, I must say I've never asked for an investigation of the Roswell incident in those terms. What I asked for was what government records might still exist about the Roswell incident. So that I can uh, make those public, which I've now
1: done. Why? Why did? Why were you curious? Uh, was it a well, I received this.
2: This goes back now to the end of 1993, and um, I started receiving uh, letters from uh, from inside of New Mexico, and some from outside about the Roswell incident. Now I've lived. Uh, I'm I'm originally from Chicago, but I've lived in New Mexico and Albuquerque for for over 26 years. So I've heard of the Roswell Incident, and uh, again, as you said, for listeners who might not be familiar with it, the Roswell Incident was 1947, and um, there there, uh, is, there are two things that are not in dispute about it. first is something crashed in 1947 near Roswell, and Roswell is located in southeast New Mexico. Mm-hmm. The second thing that is not contested, is that the Army Air Corps from, from, uh, obviously now the U.S. Air Force, from Roswell Army Airfield, um, put out a press release that day that called what crashed a flying disc. Those are their words. And flying disc, we would say today, flying saucer. That's sure. exactly what they meant an sure. extraterrestrial visitation. And needless to say, that created quite a quite a commotion back in 1947, as it would at any time. Sure. And about uh, oh eight hours after the Army Air Corps said it was a flying disc, they came out with a, a statement that said, "Oops, we made a mistake. It wasn't a flying disc. It was a weather balloon."
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, which of course raises the question: Can't somebody tell a weather balloon from a flying saucer? But but that those facts as I have given them to you are uncontested. Uh, After that, uh, a disagreement begins. There are many people who believe that uh, that was really a flying saucer. and In some cases, some people believe complete with uh, alien bodies from the crash. Mm -hmm. There are other people who do not necessarily accept the flying saucer theory or or, uh, extraterrestrial visit theory, but they don't believe the weather balloon theory either, which turned out to be, at the very least, that turned out to be Appropriate thinking, because the military rejected the the weather balloon theory recently. Uh, that didn't mean they adopted an extraterrestrial visit. Well,
1: they, just, yeah, but they readopted the weather balloon. They said, what, well, it wasn't a weather balloon; it was a special balloon, w-
2: right, uh, with some differences. And that leads to where the Albuquerque Journal story is all wrong, I think. But I got these requests. What the requests were were everyone who wrote said the military is not telling us the truth about Roswell. It is not a weather balloon. And as I said, the military has at least conceded that point much later. Now, it is quite clear, Art, that a number of the people who wrote believe this was an extraterrestrial uh, visitation. Yes. I don't think necessarily all of them did, but they all had in common that they felt that it wasn't what we, they were told. It wasn't a weather balloon. So, um, I, I, Secretary of Defense then uh, the late Les Aspin. Uh, telling them about what people were saying, who were writing to me, and asking for, could you could you send me back an official explanation of Roswell, and then I'll pass it on back to these people who are contacting me. Okay. And um, as a side note, having lived in New Mexico for many years, I knew what the Roswell incident was. I didn't know how prominent it had become. I didn't know, for example, that a TV network was preparing a movie about it or that books had been written about it. Actually, I viewed this as, uh, although somewhat different, I suppose, in subject matter, otherwise, routine requests. We in Congress of both parties.
1: So, just are, really a constituent uh, service. Exactly. Mm-hmm.
2: No, nothing unusual. People, the subject matter was a bit unusual, but people write to us in Congress in both parties regularly and say, I would like information about a certain subject. Mm-hmm. And we go to that agency and the agency sends us information. We send it back to the constituent. And that literally happens day in and day out in Congress. Sure. And I thought that this would be. Just as routine. And so when I sent my request to uh, Secretary Aston, I thought that this would be, uh, you know, nothing out of the ordinary. In fact, I thought the explanation would be we've looked into it over the years and here's what it is and please send that to your constituents. Now, that's what I thought was going to happen. That is not what actually happened. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I said that I thought this was a routine request and we do this day in and day out. But the response I got from the military was, was anything but routine.
1: Can you describe it?
2: Certainly. Um, the, I got a response back from the, Air, from the Air Force, and I have no problem with that, that the Secretary of Defense sends something to the Air Force. That's also routine. The Air Force sent back about a one-sentence letter that said, we sent your request about Roswell to the National Archives.
3: Hmm.
2: Period. And um, what I would, to, to say the least, I was taken back by this. And I was taken back be- because first of all, I didn't write to the National Archives. I wrote to the
1: you expected an, expect an answer
2: from the Department of Defense. Second sure. of all, there's normally a certain protocol of, of um, offer to help uh, when, when there's a congressional inquiry.
3: Mm-hmm. And, and
2: this one basically said, uh, you know, why is this on my desk? We sent it over to the National Archives.
3: <clears throat>
2: and one column, um, columnist described me as offended by that. I wasn't offended, I was surprised. So I wrote again. Uh, to the Secretary of Defense, and I said, "Is this the answer you really intend to stand from you know from the inquiry I made?" Mm-hmm. And I got back another letter from a Special Assistant Secretary Aspen that you might say was written in more diplomatic language, but essentially said the same thing: "Go check with the National Archives." Huh. So, okay, I can I can get a hint. So I contacted the National Archives. The National Archives responded that they don't have any information about Roswell,
3: hmm. and and
2: they ended up, they, they, there was a rather. Uh, I can find it, in context, humorous statement in the letter that said to me from the National Archives, you know, Congressman, we've received a lot of requests lately at the National Archives about the Roswell incident. And I'm thinking, well, if the Defense Department is sending everybody to you, I'm not entirely surprised. (laughs) And, in fact, I found out. I didn't know at the time. But a number of members of Congress had written uh, to the Defense Department, and they also referred to the National Archives. But I I knew at the very least that I'd been given a runaround. I mean I knew that the military had no, that the National Archives had no information. So here I've written twice to the Defense Department just saying what what happened? Not in any hostile frame of mind. And I get sent to an agency that has no information. And at this point I was uh, I, I was not happy, can I put it to you that way? Not happy. Not happy at all. And but the question is what do you do about it? So
1: we're, a lot of us, by the way, that, that write to to some of you, and, and this is certainly not a slam at you at all, Congressman, get very similar responses. I might add.
2: Well, I hope we all, of both parties, try to try to serve our constituents It's, it's part of the part of the obligation of the office. I think. This, this was all in about oh late 1993.
1: One would imagine that a congressman, though, would get a get a sort of a decent uh, response of some kind. I mean, normally we do. Yes.
2: Um, at the end of 1993, um, I, I was meeting with some General Accounting Office officials. The General Accounting Office, or GAO, is the investigative arm of the U.S. Congress. And my experience with them uh, uh, has been very good in the past. I haven't gone to them much more. I've gone to them. My response has, has been very professional <clears throat> Excuse
1: me, from the GAO. It's a follow-the-money deal, GAO. Uh, I guess if something happened at Roswell, there would have to be records. Of... Well, that's that's what I that's what I told them.
3: I, sure.
2: Well, I was meeting with GAO officials on other subjects, and while they were in the office, I told them about this problem with Roswell, and I said, you know, there ought to be records of what happened, no matter what those What no matter what they say. I mean, I mean here at the very least, um, there should have been an oh shoot memorandum. I may have described it slightly differently to the GAO. (laughs) But at at the very least, if everything happened the way the Air Force, Army Air Corps said, somebody at at the Roswell Army Airfield has to explain to their superiors why the best bomb group in the United States Army Air Corps, the only bomb group carrying nuclear weapons at that time, doesn't know a weather balloon from a flying saucer. Mm -hmm. At at this point, there's a lot of explaining to do, uh, at the very least. I said there ought to be records of all of this. And so I asked the General Accounting Office, um, still in late 1993, would you be willing to do a, essentially a search for records? And that—that's uh, what this was all about. It was about the General Accounting Office at my request, trying to find what records exist, if any.
1: They—they they were office. receptive to the idea.
2: Oh, I, I imagine there was, a, you know, a little bit of hesitation just because the subject matter was, again, unusual from from a government point of view. Sure. But we talked about that, and and uh, I made the. Uh, in fact, I've, I've got to tell you, when I first got the request and decided to get into it, I took a deep breath uh, because I know that uh, knew then that that you get involved anywhere near flying saucers and little green men.
3: That's right. You know,
2: you're you're you're, you're subject to ridicule. That's right. And a little bit has occurred, but frankly, there's a lot. There's a different issue here, and the different issue is. People have a right in a free country to information about what their government is doing at all times, save only, when there's an immediate security need for for classification. I think most of us would agree with that. And it doesn't matter what the subject is. In other words, nobody in government has a right to arbitrarily say, that's such an unimportant or off-the-wall subject, I'm not going to provide the information. I mean, not in this country, I wouldn't think.
1: It should not be.
2: Exactly, and the GAO agreed with that. And so the GAO went, went off to uh, see what they could find, although I have to tell you, because this was now late, still late 1993, the reason for the delay, we're now a year and a half later,
3: mm-hmm.
2: is that this, this is a 50-year-old incident. And uh, that by itself means you've got to look in some nooks and crannies. And I told them, I cannot ask you to drop what you're doing to look for records in Roswell. You might have more current requests pending for, for, for information from other members of Congress, so what I ask you to do is look for it as you have time. And so to a great extent that explains the the time frame here. I didn't press them to just drop everything and go looking for this. I said, you know, if you have other requests, that someone needs something about the DOD right now, go get it for them. As
1: you can get it done, yes.
2: Exactly. And uh, that brings us to the, I suppose, to the other end now, to to yesterday, as a matter of fact, or Friday, excuse me, uh, Friday uh the g a o gave me their report and under under their regulations, I had thirty days to keep it secret essentially while i re- you know to do whatever I wanted to do with it and and before it became public right, automatically sure, sure I didn't take the thirty days after after the time that did go by as soon as I got it, I got it out in a couple of hours just to, wanted to read it first and and then uh, do a press statement just summarizing it so essentially our when I got it, everybody got it.
1: All right, well, the, the, big, the big news seems to be um, that the records, or at least what I derive to be the big news, the records of the particular time in question, a couple of years of them, they were supposed to be permanently held records, and you stop me where I'm wrong, were unaccountably, um, with unknown authority, destroyed. Is that, is that right or wrong? Uh, you got it right. Although, here's where I'd like to interject the correction to the
2: to the Albuquerque Journal article. Uh the the journal article uh says that I concluded that this that I personally concluded that this was a was a balloon. And the balloon they're talking about it comes this way. In September of nineteen ninety four, this is this is uh several months after I've asked the GAO to do this investigation, Mm -hmm. the Air Force issued a new report. And the new report said that they admitted that this was not a weather balloon.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Which is interesting, because that's what they've been saying for almost 50 years, that Correct. it was a weather balloon. Correct. And a, a weather balloon, by the way, never fit the circumstances. This doesn't mean that it had to be an extraterrestrial. But uh, there is really, in my mind, a great deal of testimony that, that at the crash site, there was a, a high degree of military security, that the, that the remnants of what were taken were flown on a single plane, uh, off to be examined at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, ultimately. Now you don't do that with a weather balloon. You don't. You don't treat a weather balloon that way.
1: No. And
2: so uh, it was. It was obvious to me that it wasn't a weather balloon. I don't even and know.
1: I don't even know if you reuse them. Uh, you don't I, do.
2: Right. I wouldn't know, but I. I don't think you have. There were a the number of people who said security was stopping people on the roads going towards the crash site, and that doesn't happen for a weather balloon. And the so that part of it didn't surprise. me. What the Air Force said the crashed vehicle was was still a balloon, but a much different balloon than a weather balloon. As they describe it, It, they describe it as a then classified um, uh, military project to determine if the Soviets were exploding nuclear weapons in the atmosphere. And as they describe it, this balloon is, is is greatly larger than a weather balloon because it's intended for for high altitude flight, higher than weather balloons mm-hmm. go, and it carried equipment different than a radar tracking device, simply which is what a weather balloon mm-hmm. would carry. Again, as I understand it, and and in September of 1994, the Air Force said, you know, this is what it was. It was not a weather balloon, and and just to um, just to again briefly state this, because I know many of your listeners are not from New Mexico. Right. The um, the article in the Albuquerque Journal stated. That I concluded that it was the this second balloon, and and the headlines is shift uh, the the crash was a balloon, flat wrong. What I did say was, uh, and the only conclusion I've ever stated is that I didn't believe the weather balloon story. That is not the same as saying, therefore, I do believe the new explanation.
1: Did the journal contact your office or talk to you prior no, to the article? No, argument? they
2: got it from the uh, press release and and. Um,
4: the, um. Gee. It, well,
1: the really, same press release. Quote.
2: I'm, I'm going to take an extra second if you don't mind. Just read this to you. No, no, go ahead. Uh, it, this is reading from the Albuquerque Journal article. It said Schiff concluded after receiving the report, colon, but not in quotes, it was a crash of a classified Cold War device. Um, and here's the quote At least this effort caused the Air Force to acknowledge that the crashed vehicle was no weather balloon, Schiff said. Well, the quote is after it. But the quote didn't say what the journal said it said. I mean, the quote says, I agree it's not a weather balloon. The quote doesn't say, I concluded, it, therefore, it is the new balloon. So,
1: new- newspaper people are so creative. Well,
2: about- but in addition to that, let me tell you, the the, uh, the headlines was "ship colon Roswell UFO balloon, which is inaccurate. But let me read the the headlines. It kind of tells you what the rest of the Story
1: says. All right, can you it's hold on to that for a moment, Congressman? We've sure. got one of these network break things we All have. right. Okay, we're going to break here and uh, come back and get the rest of the story. from Congressman Schiff, New Mexico. Congressman Schiff. Uh, what an answer it is they've given. Well, it, it wasn't a balloon. Well, it was a balloon. Well... Didn't happen, did happen. We'll be back.
0: You're listening to Art Bell somewhere in time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from July 31st, 1995. Somewhere in Time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from July 31st, 1995.
1: New Mexico's Congressman Stephen Schiff is our guest. We're talking about Roswell right now. But hang tight. He also just happens to be on the Waco Committee. We're going to touch on that, too. Lots to talk about. Now to Washington and Congressman Schiff, Congressman. Yes, sir. Um, um,
2: I'd like to take just one more moment about the Albuquerque Journal, and then
1: and then yes,
2: go on. But that's also because not just because I'm a New Mexican, obviously, but that story got all over the country, so it's being reported in stations that aren't in New Mexico, and perhaps to your listeners elsewhere. That's right. In a nutshell, the story said that I concluded that the crashed vehicle was this new Air Force explanation of a of a detection device for Soviet nuclear testing. Absolutely not true. What I did say was I never believed the original weather balloon story, which does not convert into uh, accepting the new story at face value.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: that was the creation of the author. Thank you for letting me get all that out there. That I have to correct that. Now, here is is what is in the report. Uh, ...from this era that still existed. One was an FBI teletype. And one was, it seemed to be like an internal uh, newsletter on the base, sort of a a chatty newsletter. Both of those referred to a balloon with a radar tracking device. That means, I am told, weather balloon. In other words, both those references were to weather balloons. But we we know, from what the Air Force told us last year, it wasn't a weather balloon.
3: So that would have
1: that, that would have been earlier cooked stuff for the original cover it, story. It could well
2: have been. This does not mean that the people who wrote those articles so many years ago were lying to their to their constituency, if you will. It may mean that they were simply repeating what they were told when the Air Force Army Air Corps. I'll say Air Force, but I mean Army Air Corps then. When the Air Force retracted its original flying disc story and said it was a weather balloon, uh, the, in my judgment, the most Potentially at least significant records, uh, possible were, were not found. And the military can give no explanation as to, as to who destroyed them or under what authority. It's my understanding the records I'm about to talk about were supposed to be permanent records, which mean not destroyed by anyone. And what I'm talking about are the outgoing messages from Roswell Army Airfield. Messages mm-hmm are an internal military communication system like a telegraph. And I told the GAO that if we were going to find something, the most likely place to find something was there because no matter what happened, there was enough national and even international interest in this that the military at Roswell would have been having to explain to, to all their higher-ups what's going on
3: here. Absolutely.
2: And I said, go look, even if it was, uh, oh, my goodness, you know what we did? We just called the weather balloon a flying saucer. I mean, whatever whatever the explanation was. Look there, and someone asked me, um, "How do you know they wouldn't just use the telephone?" And that's a fair question. Uh, the answer to me is, they probably used both because there was a great deal of publicity after the Air Force, Army Air Corps said this was a flying disc. So, uh, one advantage of a message is it you can uh, you can hit a number of your higher headquarters at one time.
1: So it this could it could not be fairly concluded then that there simply was. No paper trail at all, that there was nothing destroyed because there was nothing to destroy.
2: Well, we, well, the outgoing messages would have been all the messages that were sent from Roswell Army Airfield that year.
1: And so it's impossible. On subject. Oh, okay.
2: And I just thought that would be a good place to look. Sure. For, uh, um, particularly, I have, I have a military background in another life. And the GAO reported that those records had been destroyed. And they said that they that they were destroyed without proper authority. Now, without proper authority means the military can't tell you who destroyed them or why. Um, the military's response on that is essentially that uh, other records were destroyed too. In other words, uh, the the, the mili- military can't offer any explanation as to why these messages don't exist. But they said, well, the 1950 Year outgoing messages from Roswell Army Airfield have all, were also destroyed, hmm. and they were also destroyed without proper entries being made as to who destroyed them and under what authority.
1: I, too, have a military background, and so I'll ask you this. How um, a circumstance is it that records covering that period of a time for any base would be without authority or known authority destroyed? How unusual is it for this to have been done?
2: Well, the, I, I can't really say this goes back before my military career. The, the GAO estimated, after talking with the Air Force archivist, that the records were in fact destroyed over 40 years ago. The records were probably destroyed, you know, before they said about 1956, so we mm-hmm. don't know exactly when. So I don't know how common it was to be destroying records that perhaps shouldn't have been destroyed more than 40 years ago.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm. Um, a major problem, of course, is since the GAO has estimated that they were destroyed decades ago, they have really suggested no way of going further into this. I mean, it's not as if I can just call somebody into a congressional hearing and say, why did you destroy these day before yesterday? It appears that they were destroyed decades ago, and we don't have an answer. The Air Force implies that the destruction of records during this era was common. The, The only example they cite, Was Roswell for the year 1950. But they, they, and in fact, the the batch these were in, the the records were destroyed from late 46 to early 49. Um, And then the Air Force says 1950 was destroyed. And that's their explanation. And I I simply am unable to take it any further.
1: So you're stuck at this point. Uh,
2: I really am. I really think we've taken it as far as, uh, as far as we can take it. I would say there is one other with respect to records. um, accomplishment here, and that is certain agents. do you have anything on the Roswell incident?
1: And time after time, I saw the report. They right, came back and said it, no.
2: It's my understanding by those who've studied this, this incident far more than I have that, for example, the Central Intelligence Agency, which says in this report that they have no records on Roswell, was never point blank asked and, and responded in the past. Hmm. And so... Um, that would be an accomplishment as, for example, the Federal Bureau of Investigation was asked point blank, do they have anything? And, and, uh, they have not, you know, they, they uh, have their response and there. Essentially, they say no, except that they did, uh, recognize the teletype I referred to a moment ago. I think probably the, the, uh, most important accomplishment was going back here to the fact that the Air Force acknowledged this wasn't a weather balloon. And, uh, it, it, It didn't take a rocket scientist, as they say, to to come to that conclusion. But that was the first time that the military has said it wasn't what we've been saying for almost 50 years.
1: All right. Well, there is a survey out, just breaking news this morning, that about three out of four people do not trust the government. You are part of the government. Uh, So on behalf of the government, uh, how do you respond to that? I mean, Roswell is a perfect uh, situation that fits right into the mold, and we could go through the years and come forward to Waco today. And three out of four Americans don't trust the government. Should we believe this story, in your opinion, about uh, the destroyed records?
5: Well, I I have to have to hold
2: on one more second here.
1: (laughs) Sure. Excuse me. No problem.
2: I I have no way of... Resolving it. I, I mean, all I can do is put out there what the what the military told me
3: mm-hmm.
2: that they were destroyed, and if not according to policy, at least not malevolently is what is what they suggest. But you know, I'm part of the government too, and that's one reason I got into this. Uh, as we talked about earlier, I decided that people have a right to information from their government. No one no one has the right to arbitrarily sit there and decide if the subject matter is important enough within the government, will, will we bother ourselves to provide the information? And uh, uh, I think to great extent that was what the military did when they just uh, passed me off to the National Archives when I originally, um, originally went into this. Well, and well, my no, view is I'm trying to get out everything I
1: can. And we appreciate that, certainly. But um, you named the subject Whitewater, um, the Nixon years, uh, even now with Waco and a million others. Things uh gee whiz blank video tapes, blank audio tapes uh, Rosemary Woods wasn't old enough to have had anything to do with Roswell, but I mean it's just uh, three out of four Americans just don't trust and believe the government, and should they
2: Well certainly in this particular instance but let's let, let's let's stay with this one. Fine. even if there was no no uh, cover up here. The Air Force acted like there was a cover-up, and that's that's just as bad because it puts that idea in people's minds. In other words, uh, when I first wrote to the military, they should have responded with whatever they were going to respond with. And uh, when they don't do that, when they send, in this case, me, but also a number of other members of Congress, I have since learned, to an agency, the National Archives, which has no information on this subject, uh, what are people supposed to think? And so I, I, there's no way I can definitively resolve the matter can, should you trust your government. How,
3: how I can would you... tell you, you the,
2: gov- they, the government hasn't acted like it ought to be trusted.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, that's right. So how would you sum up your personal uh, response? Would the word continued suspicion, would those words be appropriate?
2: I, I would use the word unresolved. Um, <laughs> I, I have brought forward all the records that the GAO could find. I've brought forward an explanation of what I asked them to look for that they can't find, and as I said, people can form their own conclusion. And some people will say, "This is uh, an understandable mistake, and that's all there was to it when the records was destroyed." Others will say, uh, "It's part of a continuing government conspiracy not to tell pe- not to tell the public about Roswell." I can't resolve that. All I can do is make the GAO report available as I promised to do, and and, and people can come to their own conclusion.
1: There are a lot of people in America who believe that there is a government behind mm-hmm. our government behind. Uh, the elected re- representatives, even behind the president. Um, I-, I know that's a, b- a big handful of a question, but uh, do you ever wonder about things like that yourself, Congressman?
2: Well, there's not anyone behind me. And uh, I get one of, of uh, 435 votes in the House floor. And uh, I have not seen the evidence of what you're talking about. I've heard people talk about it. Um, but not as far as I can see.
1: When you guys are together in the now, no doubt, no longer smoke-filled rooms and just chatting among yourselves, is this ever a subject of conversation? <laughs> well, I think
2: there are suspicion about other branches of government. I don't, I don't remember anyone ever sitting down and saying, within us members of Congress, that someone is controlling the Congress. Uh-huh. I, I remember number of people wondering what's going on at the white house and i maybe they sit around wondering what we're doing
1: yeah, i'm sure they time. do a lot lately as a matter of fact um all right uh, onward um i guess we, you know it stops where it stops until somebody figures out how to go further with this
2: well and and, and there's a possibility that could happen I, the gao told me that about twenty members of congress had registered requests with them for uh, copies of the report when when it was available mm-hmm. and uh... Um, we just Therefore, a number of members are, are are already showing interest in it, and they might have a suggestion. And that that brings me to the how to order part, if I can if I can take a second here.
3: You certainly it, may. It's
2: in the uh, the GAO says that people may request this report, and I'm reading now from the back cover of the report, and it's uh it says the first the first copy of each GAO report and testimony is free, and then they say additional copies are two dollars each. Hmm. And they say uh, the following: uh, the order should be sent to the following address, um, accompanied by a check for the superintendent documents. They mean, of course, if you're ordering more than one.
1: But if you want one, it's free. If you want
2: one, I'm going to give it to you right here. So let me just give people a second to get a pencil and paper, if they, right. if they want to. Now, now here is uh, here is where to write, and I'm just reading this out of the report: to order by mail, write to the United States General Accounting Office. P.O. Box 6015, Gaithersburg, Maryland, and here's the zip code. They've got nine digits here: 20884-6015. And this is the the um, the. I'm going to give the full name of the report and the document number, which is probably the most important thing here. the The document is entitled "Results of a Search." For records concerning the 1947 crash near Roswell, New Mexico, and it has a an identification number as follows: GAO slash NSIAD dash 95 dash 187. And uh, they say that's how you order one. We've we've had some delivered in, to our office in Washington, and we're sending some on to Albuquerque. And okay. first come, first served basis, we'll hand them out to whoever whoever comes by, but that's how to get more of them.
1: Excellent. All right. Um, There is, uh, in London right now, in England, a man named Ray Santilli, who I had the pleasure of interviewing here not long ago. He claims to have come up with this film of the Roswell crash. Uh, Now, while the film is not out and won't be for a while yet for the general public, there are still photographs that are circulating that as a matter of fact he gave me permission to publish in our newsletter and they are fascinating and um, I I don't know what to say of them except that when I saw them I was shocked because instead of the typical little grey guys or green guys or whatever anybody generally in the UFO community expects to see this thing appears to be almost human eerily almost human and I know that or I believe that you've seen some of these photographs. How do you react? Well, I to saw that? the video. I saw the video. Oh, uh, you saw the video. a um, An associate of Mr. Santilli, and, and
2: it's my understanding that that this uh, film, which it purports to be an autopsy of an alien, right, will be available. Uh, well, available, maybe available now on video cassette. That's not a joke. I think they might be
3: telling it, it right
2: now. That's right. But it's but it's intended for use. In a British uh, uh, documentary about Roswell,
1: Channel Four, I think. That,
2: that I understand will be
1: shown. Round that off. I
2: understand will be shown in the United Kingdom next month. That's right. Uh, meaning August, That's and right. um, so uh, and I know I've I've been told that Fox Broadcasting has purchased the U.S. rights. Right uh, to this film, so I, I I think it will be out here shortly.
1: Well, uh, well how would you react? I mean, you've seen something we haven't seen yet. Uh, how would you describe your reaction to it? Well, I
2: can't resist just one other quick aside here, and I want to tell you that this was really not bash the Albuquerque Journal week with me. I've I worked with these people for many years. But I just have to tell you again, for my New Mexico uh, uh, constituents who listen, that the Albuquerque Journal heard I saw this film, and a couple weeks after the fact they called and asked me about it, and then did a front-page story about my looking at this film, and then mm-hmm. proceeded to poke good-naturedly a little fun at me for looking at films about, about aliens. And what rankled me just a little bit, though they were good-natured, is they made it sound like this was a 100% obsession with me without ever telling their readers that they're the ones that went after me for the story. I <laughs> didn't do a press release on it. They heard about it, and they were dying for a story. So if there was an obsession with Little Green Men... It was all on their side, but, of course, they won't tell anybody.
1: Irresistible they're, on their part.
2: Right, but they don't tell anyone it's on their part. They don't tell anyone that they're the ones that generate the story. I saw the movie and went on with my work.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: the, the idea of a story came when they called me. Anyway, this is what the, this is what the film shows. And, once again, it's like the GAO report. Our, uh, people, I think, will have access to it shortly and can make up their own minds. And I'm not trying to persuade anybody one way or the other. But in essence, the film appear, uh, purported to be an autopsy of an alien. And what, what you saw were, were, I believe it was two people who appeared to be doctors, uh, I think maybe even a third one behind a glass door, and they were completely covered head to toe in protective garb. And, of course, if there really was an alien, and you remember what smallpox did to the Native American population, that's exactly what they should do, mm-hmm. uh, so that an alien smallpox doesn't uh, get loose here. Sure. But anyway, it, 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 again, they proceeded to be be um, doing an autopsy in this alien and removing certain organs and examining them. And I, I only have one conclusion at this time. If if this was a hoax, it, it took some degree of planning. In other words, this was not a matter of two people having too much to drink at a party <laughs> and saying, let's pull out the video cam
3: That's right. and all
2: pretend that we're aliens uh, and, and do this. Somebody, if it was a hoax, somebody had to... Sit down and plan out how how they were going to put this together, and uh, how they were going to get all the props and so forth. And it could be a hoax. The British who own it, Mr. Santilli and his associates, understand yes. that it could be a hoax. They have told me that they are endeavoring to verify its authenticity, and I told them that I would inquire around our government, which I've started to do, about whether there is a. A government agency that might assist them, although they're going to some private sources that they think have sufficient technology.
1: Actually, Uh, actually, uh, Congressman, if it is not a hoax, uh, then it seems to me it's U.S. government property.
2: Well, that's what uh, that's what originally it's supposed to have been, according to the British. This film originated with someone who said he was a military photographer Mm -hmm. and took the photos, uh, the, the movie rather, live at the time. But the individual will not permit his identity to be revealed.
1: Understand, he's in his 80s now.
2: Well, would be, would
1: presumably I have to be. And
2: he, he's given an explanation that he, particularly at his present age, is not interested in having a great deal of, of, of the expected publicity to no, I, don't, I, don't,
1: I don't blame him.
4: Not at all. Although you have to say
2: that that when someone declines to give their identity, it also means you can't check out their story.
3: That's
1: right.
2: So once again, it's there. It is, and people make up their own mind.
1: So you found it intriguing
2: I did yes uh, to the extent that it was not it was not an obvious uh, uh, Ed Wood movie you know with, with a paper plate going by and that's a flying saucer alright Con- Congre-
1: Congressman we're at the top of the hour I'm going to uh, call in my chit you said I could I'm going to hold you over a little we haven't even touched on Waco alright I'm yours alright stay right there Congressman Stephen Schiff New Mexico's will be back
0: you're listening to Art Bell somewhere in time Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from July 31st, 1995. presents Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight's program originally aired July 31st, 1995.
1: My guest, and I do have one welcome, everybody, is Congressman Stephen Schiff from Washington. That's right, where it's now probably a little bit after uh, 3 o'clock in the morning. And so we're really imposing and we're holding him over. We've spent an hour talking about Roswell, how he came to investigate it and uh, what has come from that investigation. Uh, This particular congressman also happens to be on the Waco committee, and so I'm going to ask him about that and much more in a moment. Then we're going to open the phone lines, so get ready. Back now to Congressman Schiff. Welcome back, sir. Good morning Good morning, continues yes, indeed, continues. Um, um, committee yesterday, I guess it was yesterday, uh, the co chair of that committee, Bill Zeliff, uh went after the White House, accused the President of ordering the CS gas attack. Would you comment on that remark?
2: Can I just say first very quickly once again? The main purpose of the Waco hearings is to bring in all the all the testimony we possibly can, sure, so that the American public can make up its own mind. Yes, and we may have individual conclusions. I'm sure we will as members of Congress. But really, the the, the uh, testimony there, and I hope people have had the maximum opportunity to watch it live or re- rebroadcast. It's there, really, for the public to make up its own mind. With respect to Bill Zelliff's uh, uh, conclusion. Um, I've listened. I've listened to Bill, and, I, and I've heard about this White House response.
3: Very angry. And I don't
2: know if they're all talking about the same thing. I think what maybe they are, but but the most that Bill has said, Bill Zeller from New Hampshire, co- uh, co-chairman of these hearings, is that he believes that the, the that the this was such an important matter at the time, such a touchy matter for mm-hmm. for legitimate reasons. Uh, Janet Reno was brand new as Attorney General of the United States. Uh, that the president would, would want to be involved in some way in, in the final decision.
1: Hard to imagine he wouldn't be.
2: I, I say, if, if, assuming this is true, I'm not sure what the, what the, exactly the, why that's a negative, why that's a, why that's an accusation. The White House has talked about, excuse me, not the White House, but the, the witnesses have been testifying about the president has been asked to be kept continually informed, as if to say the president. Listened or you know, the information got to the president, and he just stoically sat there and said nothing at all about it. So, the, the witnesses confirm that the White House made an individual request to people keep the president directly informed. And there are witnesses who did that without going through the attorney general, Webb Hubble, uh, who, who's, uh, of course, a, a former uh, a person, who's a personal associate of the president. And later became briefly, I think, the number three person at the Justice Department. Said he would call the White House, not necessarily talk to the president directly, but call the White House and tell them what was what was going on.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So I'm not altogether sure how different uh what Congressman Zellis is saying is from what the White House is saying now. The Attorney General will testify uh, in person.
3: Later
1: at, today, at correct? At
2: 10 o'clock in the morning, that's right, before the Waco hearings. The Attorney oh, General, right. Jan- Reno's the yes. last witness. So,
1: yes, let me just ahead. interrupt and say that over the weekend, on one of the weekend Sunday shows, Meet the Press, uh, Representative Zellef was, was asked what is the most important question she's going to be asked at the hearings. He responded, um, Why did she approve the plan to gas almost 90 Americans? What information was she given? Who did she share? the decision with? These are going to be critical questions. Do you agree with that? I think all of these are, le- are legitimate que- questions. And,
2: and I think they've become the focus of where we are at the hearings at this point. And I assume, of course I've heard the Attorney General uh, in the past on this. Uh, let me tell you where I think the crux is as far as the Attorney General goes. The Attorney General will say that she believed that there was n- there, there was no chance that David Koresh and the people in the compound would come out voluntarily and that she was informed that the FBI plan for a gradual insertion of, of, of this gas was the least um, menacing uh, way to try to persuade people to come out of the compound. That's what the Attorney General will say, I'm sure, because that's what she said in the past. I think the questionnaire will be, What were you told on those subjects by the people who briefed you from the FBI? Mm -hmm. What were you told about the fact that no surrender was possible? What were you told about uh, the possible use of this gas and effects of this gas on children and infants and so forth? And I I think that's where the key questions will come there.
1: Well, clearly there was a decision made at some point because the FBI was coming out almost on a daily basis, as you recall, and saying, uh We have patience. We can wait till the hell freezes over if we have to. Well, they said that during the hearing. Uh, a Mr. Jamar, who was uh, in
2: charge of the of the combined FBI operation, I say combined because they had negotiators and and, and action people, if you will, uh, on the scene, said at one point, I would have waited a year uh, if I had something to 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 hang that on. so uh, that's been their testimony all along that they that they went forward when they believed. That there was no alternative, and they felt that they needed to take action for a number of reasons, and they felt that this was the the least um, the, the most benign way under the circumstances of approaching it. They're going to say they believe that CS gas did not cause any permanent disabilities of any kind, and a gradual insertion would would, in their opinion, just kind of nudge people out. That was their plan. Their plan lasted four minutes, according to the testimony.
1: Then we got gradual insertion. We got Uh, gradual insertion of tanks as well. I recall.
2: Well, they weren't even gradual. They were hitting the building from all different, all different sides (laughs) at once, and and and, and insertion of gas all over. And that's another question. The FBI had this contingent plan that if one tank inserting gas in one place in this building didn't was fired upon, was was shot at. uh, that then they would bring in everything at once, and I've never quite figured out why this second plan was written the way it was. They talked about, well, we need to protect the people in the first vehicle. Why not just withdraw the first vehicle? I don't know why you had to bring in everything literally at that time. Why couldn't you have withdrawn it if you met armed opposition, which was certainly possible?
1: Congressman, and, uh, would you find yourself more troubled uh, uh, finding out the president knew and uh, uh, had part of the, the decision making? Um, or if he was not in the loop, which would be more troubling? I I, I would
2: find it most troubling if the president, and and I I say this as a statement, not an accusation, I would be most troubled if the president didn't tell us the truth about what he did, whatever that was.
1: Cover-up, in other Uh, words. Exactly.
2: Mm -hmm. The fact of the matter is, it it seems to me that there would be nothing inappropriate about the president keeping close tabs on this situation. Of course not. if what Congressman Zell said is true, that the president uh, wanted to be more than kept informed, he wanted to have a hand in, in what was done before it was done, given the risks involved, and to be very frank about it with the art, given the publicity that was involved, that doesn't shock me. So I don't know why, you know, if that happened, I don't know why there'd be all this resistance uh, from the White House. In fact, I find it a little difficult to believe, and I, and I don't have any evidence behind this. I know um, We'll see tomorrow, but... It's you, hard to believe the president would just say, thank you for the information, and then turn around and go right. do something else. You
1: are a colleague of uh, Bill Zellis' uh, congressman. Yes, Zellis. I'm,
2: I'm a member of, actually, I happen to be the only member of the hearings who's on both subcommittees. I'm on Congressman Zellis' subcommittee from what is now the called the Government Reform and Oversight Committee, and I'm on Congressman McCollum's subcommittee on Crime and Criminal Justice. So.
1: Would you imagine him to be the kind of man who would make such an accusation with nothing to back it up?
2: Well, once again, I'm not sure that, you know, the word accusation has been thrown in. I I, I don't understand what the White House feels it's being accused of.
1: Well, uh, uh, exactly. virtually, I believe the wording was of actually ordering the gas attack to occur, and then, uh, as you pointed out, the more troubling aspect of it, uh, seemingly uh, denying it. Uh, Secretary of State was on a couple of weeks ago, refused to answer whether the president had any involvement or not, so... Well, but the president, uh, excuse me, once again, I, I misspoke. The
2: witnesses have stated that the president wanted to be kept individually informed, which means that all of the president's briefings did not come from Attorney General Janet Reno. Uh, Webb Hubble testified that he called the White House, not didn't talk to the president directly, but call, talked to White House staff to keep them advised of what was, what was happening here. And, and the point is, we may all be talking about the same thing. And I, and I don't find anything in the president asking to be kept informed, let's just start there, that by itself causes me any concern. And, and if the president was more involved, I don't know why that would be a negative in and of itself.
1: It's almost like Roswell. might be
2: negative the other way.
1: It's almost like Roswell. It's the reaction that is, you know, making us all very curious, if not suspicious, uh, from the White House. And they're just really, apparently, this morning angry also. Uh, Altman, uh, you might want to comment on this, apparently wrote a memo to Secretary Benson on 15 April, four days before all this, saying in four days there's going to be a catastrophe, and nothing was done. Well,
2: it's it's been accused that nothing new has come out in the Waco hearings. I disagree with that entirely. I think a number of things have come out, I think some in the government's favor. I think some not in the government's favor. My view is the chips should fall where they may in that regard.
1: Are you satisfied, for example, that the the fire was apparently started by the Davidians? It seems like there was quite a bit of uh, weight of evidence to that effect.
6: The weight of
2: evidence is, I'd like to come back to Secretary Benson and the memo in a second, but the weight of evidence is that the fire started inside, and, and perhaps in two or three different places, almost simultaneously. Right. The evidence is not that the FBI... Started the fire The fact that it started inside and the fact that it started in three different places, would give the most logical uh, idea that somebody on the inside deliberately set the fire. But that's not quite the only explanation. There, there was a, a government expert on this said, "Well, this, this fire had to, this is an arson expert who said this had to start with a match." Well, no, it didn't. It had to start with a flame. And you do have the fact that, uh, these people were heating and lighting with lanterns because their, their electricity had been cut off. Sure. And, uh, is it possible that, that either all these vehicles coming at the building at one time or the ensuing panic, I'm trying to, I'm trying to picture what it must have been like inside the building, even if some members inside fired shots at the first vehicle. I think that's a possibility. It doesn't mean everybody inside was, was armed and ready to start shooting, right. I don't, and certainly the children weren't. And so is it, is it out of the range of possibility that all of the commotion, and that sounds like a weak word to me at the moment, but vehicles ramming the building, people running for cover, that lanterns couldn't have been spilled. I, I, don't, I can't rule that out completely, but the evidence does rule out the idea that the FBI started the fire. So you can say, if you will, in in, in total context, that's a finding in the government's favor against that accusation. But let me go back to the issue you asked me about.
1: About the alternate memo. Right.
2: It it, It has to be remembered here that you're dealing with two agencies in two separate departments. The Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, which did the original raid on February 28th, is under the Treasury Department. And after that raid failed and we had, in essence, a siege, the FBI under the Department of Justice took over the the responsibility, and uh, but but the Treasury Department through ATF had begun it all. And Roger Altman, who was then the number two person at the Treasury Department, on April fifteenth wrote a memo to his boss, Secretary Benson, saying that he had the the FBI plan for a gas insertion had been explained to him, and he was worried about it. He said, "I think the word he used was a tragedy could ensue." Yes. And Secretary Benson, who, who, whom I greatly admire uh, in many respects, um, but his testimony, I, I was i was uh, astounded by it. His testimony was when he got that memo, he did absolutely nothing. I mean, just did nothing. Essentially threw it away. And And the reason he gave was it wasn't our problem anymore. I mean, this had been turned over to the Department of Justice, and it was no longer a Treasury responsibility. Now, <clears throat> that's sort of like the
1: proverbial waiter saying, that's not my table i mean uh it's not it is, even the polite equivalent of we're passing this on to the archive department <laughs> i don't think
2: i don't think the memo got there necessarily here is the point secretary benson is entirely correct when he says that the treasury department was out of responsibility and and the justice department had taken it over but this is all one government and at the very least what secretary benson should have done was pick up the telephone to the Attorney General and say, my number two person has some mm-hmm. concerns here. Perhaps he should come over and talk with you or talk with somebody on your staff. If the Attorney General had decided to proceed anyway, which, which he had the authority to do, then Secretary Benson certainly could do nothing about that. But to, but to get a warning like that and to just uh, sit on it, uh, I think that's, uh, that's
1: uh, inexplicable. Janet Reno, um, shortly after the Waco Incident tragedy, offered to resign. Um, in retrospect, uh, knowing what we now know, and maybe it's a little he- ahead of time, uh, since you'll be on the stand tomorrow, in effect, um, in front of you, um, should should uh, the president have accept- you know, with regrets or whatever, accepted that resignation?
2: Well, people are going to have to answer that for themselves. If, if, if it depends on what conclusions people come to, if the conclu- <coughs> me. If conclusions are that this was a, a mess and that caused by the government and Janet Reno is responsible, then I guess you could say the president should have accepted a resignation if, to turn it completely around, the, the, the government had an, an impossibly difficult situation, at least at the time the siege began, and all decisions were risky, and Janet Reno acted in good faith and did the best, made the best possible choice um then there'd be no reason for for such a resignation. Now we'll we'll all hear from the Attorney General tomorrow. I want to say again that I think the crux of the Attorney General's decision was what information were you given that it was based upon. Right. In other words, what I think is starting to come out of the hearing is that the FBI discounted the possibilities David Koresh would come out um, uh by himself. Uh, they regarded that as, as, a, as, a, de- as a deception.
1: Against, but, I understand, all advice of people who knew about cults.
2: Well, they got mixed advice uh, on it. I would say this. The question is, when they briefed the Attorney General, did they eliminate the the, the possible counter counter scenarios of David Kresh coming out because they didn't believe it, uh, or did they explain everything? In other words, when they went to Janet Reno, did they just say, well, there's no hope for anything, any kind of uh, peaceful surrender. Mm-hmm. Therefore, we've got to just do something here without ever telling the attorney general all of the all of the possibilities. It seems to me that they had an obligation to explain all of the possibilities, even if they didn't believe that David Koresh would come out. I, I, I think they had an obligation to tell the attorney general what was going on, and I hope, among other things, we'll find out tomorrow if that was done.
1: Mm -hmm. One of the things that I heard the other day that I actually found chilling was the Attorney General was asked by somebody, um, and she responded about Waco, that given similar circumstances today, she would have and would make the same exact decision. And that scares me. Uh, That actually scares the hell out of me because it tells me Uh, There could be, and with the number of militias that we've got building all over the place and people who say, well, I don't uh, um, believe in the 16th Amendment, it was never passed, I won't pay taxes, or whatever, there's going to be some little spark somewhere again. And I fear that with Janet Reno still in office, there could be another Waco.
2: I I can only assume that the Attorney General meant based upon the information I was given at the time. Uh, I'm assuming that's the context rather than based upon... Now that I know what would happen, because it happened, but again, tomorrow, or tomorrow, there I go, later this morning, it seems that way, but uh, later this morning, we will hear the testimony. Uh, If if I can talk about Waco a little bit more here, I want to say that once again, once again, the the main purpose of the hearings is people can get their own information and make their own decision. Um, I've come to some conclusions. Uh, but that doesn't mean that I think everybody should come to the same conclusion I have, because they're free to listen to the same testimony.
1: Well, that do, you I ca- have. do you care to tell us what you well,
2: have? I, I was going to share a couple. I think that uh, I'm going to pick one of each, meaning one that favors what the government has explained, and, and one that one that shows a serious problem. All right. I think the government had originally uh, enough information that somebody in the compound, David Koresh or whomever, were illegally converting semi-automatic weapons to automatic weapons, which is illegal, (laughs) that there was a proper government interest in what may have been going on there with respect to firearms. In other words, I don't think that the government went out of its way to look for a group with an unpopular uh, religious view or a... a, um, uh, other other reasons to... I'm with you. Fix- in other
1: words, they were not targeting them. Uh, congressmen were at the bottom of the hour. Right. But so- they
2: did mess up much more than they've
1: admitted. All His right. Time, I'd be glad to talk to you about We'll that. cover that uh, in a moment and take some calls, as promised, and do another half hour. Congressman Schiff, New Mexico's Congressman Schiff, is my guest. More in a moment.
0: You're listening to Bell, somewhere in time, on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from July 31st, 1995.
1: Let's go to the phones. I promise they'll lynch me if I don't do it. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Question for
7: for Mr. Zelleth, then.
1: Uh, Uh, That's Congressman Schiff we have here.
7: Tell him, please, not to hit me. (laughs) Uh,
1: uh,
7: The original uh, fire investigator for the BATF, who said the fire was set from the inside, was in fact someone who had done work for the BF before, and in fact had shared offices with the BF, BATF somewhere in Texas. Is this the same guy that that uh uh testified before your committee?
2: Well the the, the person I think you're referring to, um, now with the Houston Fire Department, uh apparently at some past time had some kind of association with the with the BATF. Um However, there were also other individuals who've looked at the, investigated the fire, and, combined the hearing, which suggested that the fire started inside the compound at about three different locations
1: simultaneously. All right, um, east of the Rockies, you're on the air with Congressman Schiff. Hi. Thanks a lot. Uh, this is Mike in Madison, Madison, Wisconsin. Yes, sir.
8: Congressman, I first want to applaud you for your tenacity in in, uh, approaching any of these issues, uh, especially the Roswell one. The thing that I really wonder about is, does your inquiry have to stop where it is at this point? I mean, assuming that something did crash and they're withholding information, I can't see that they would just throw the parts away after a while. So they must be somewhere in some warehouse being guarded by someone And so I would assume somebody still knows about it.
3: All right.
8: Well, well first, thank
2: you for that compliment. As indicated earlier, when I first was asked about the Roswell incident and decided to get involved, I took a deep breath Hmm. because obviously it was a subject matter that at least potentially uh, opened up anyone for ridicule. My view is people have a right to information on any subject and and not subject to someone else's arbitrary view of whether it's important or not. To answer your specific question, the the GAO was unable to find any other records, um, and they have they've said they've exhausted all the possibilities they have, and so when you say are, is there something and is it being guarded somewhere, I I can't prove a negative, I can't say something isn't the case, um, I can only say that the GAO I think did a a, a very thorough search for records, and as I've indicated. Perhaps the most important thing they found were destroyed, and no one can tell you why or by whom. But that's where we're at. So I can't, if there's something still in existence, there is no paper trail the GAO can find to lead you there.
1: Seems to me there's some things we're never going to know about. I said the other day on the air, if somebody today came up with a film showing a rifleman on the grassy knoll taking his shot at Kennedy, it would be just one more piece of evidence for people to doubt. It's like the Roswell film. Nearly anything can be done, faked. uh, It can turn up to be a fraud. And after a while, like with the Kennedy conspiracy, there becomes so much that if the absolute truth were presented uh, by somebody uh, such as yourself who stood up on the congressional floor, it would be just one more theory. Well, the Roswell incident
2: now is getting near 50 years old. And and it's hard to believe that this will be resolved to everyone's Satisfaction. The GAO report shows what, what they could come up with, which you've described accurately. It's one more piece of information that still leaves people, I think, pretty much believing what they believed before.
1: Exactly. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Congressman Steve Schiff from New Mexico. Hi.
7: Hello, this is uh, Jack from <laughs> Charleston.
1: South Carolina?
7: South Carolina. Okay. Uh, nice to talk to you, Congressman Schiff. Thank you. Uh, I'm hearing my echo over your phone and my radio is off.
1: Well, that's so all right. right. Just go ahead.
7: Um, I was wondering, Congressman Chip, if you saw the uh, FBI agent today's testimony saying that uh, he was one of the ones uh, driving the CEV or Bradley, I think. And he did, He says he did see someone lighting a fire inside. And also, um, I was thinking that if uh, they hadn't done the raid when they did, and a couple of days later, the Davidians came outside holding children and firing. People would then look at Roger Altman's uh, memo and say, "Why did you let him stop you from doing something?"
1: Hmm. And another thing, I wish. Well, oh, you... all right, uh, that that's quite a bit to handle right there. Uh, let's hold it there. Uh, the, the testimony of the FBI agent who said he saw somebody lighting a fire. I maybe
2: I maybe I, may be, I may be misrecollecting. I don't I don't remember him being that absolute about it. But the testimony does appear to be that the fire started inside and And the most reasoned uh then conclusion is that uh it was it was it was deliberately set inside I, I i think that's the preponderance of the evidence i I just have not quite ruled out the possibility that since electricity was cut off and there were lanterns all over and this uh this uh massive assault started on the compound just a few minutes after one vehicle went forward. Other, another possibility, but I agree that's the, that's where the majority of evidence certainly, certainly lies. With respect to Roger Altman's memo, you raise a very good point about what, what were the alternatives and what were the risks. I think that, that frankly the Attorney General had risks under any possible decision that were made. My point about the memo was, when you get that, do you throw it away? Or do you put your number two person in your department, which started this whole situation, now they're not just bystanders, into touch with the Justice Department? I'm saying that the Treasury, Secretary of the Treasury, should have passed on the memo to the Attorney General. If the Attorney General wanted to then discount it in her responsibility to make a decision here, then that, I think she had the authority to do it, but to just stop it
1: she should have at least had the opportunity to
2: review it. Exactly. And it may well be that with all the information available at that time, the Attorney General would have gone forward anyway. I'm just saying that there is no justification for stopping information from getting over to the Justice
7: Department, which is what the Treasury Department did.
1: All right. Uh, east of the Rockies, you're on the air with Congressman Schiff. Hi.
7: Hi. I missed your show last night. We had a mix-up at, our, at KTRH. This is Kevin Houston. Uh... Houston, yes, sir. But uh, I'm glad you're on tonight. Uh, I just had a general comment. Um, it's, I'm just I'm worried about the, the ability to trust the government on on any any uh, large scale matters such as this
1: or Roswell. Um, I agree. I I think that's a very important topic. Uh, with I guess beginning back uh, gee with the Kennedy assassination or the Nixon problems. Um, one after another of our government institutions have sort of fallen in the eyes of the American people to the degree now where three out of four people don't trust the American government. Hopefully, hearings like uh, these hearings on uh, Waco would restore some of that. Uh, Congressman, do you think it will? Let me add I hope so, because
2: Congress is part of the government, too. It
1: is. And And I
2: think one of the purposes of the Waco hearings, is the idea that uh, uh, congress as part of the government is going to let everything it possibly can um, uh... hang out there and well, so uh... again people then can come to their own conclusions and As And you've already heard people will come to different conclusions that's yeah. one All
7: thing right. i can get say about the, the television and media is, is that you know we have these live hearings as far as uh, everything else the news and everything else so I, I think it's pretty much worthless to trust the the, the media um, the television in particular i think they do everything they can to distort things or, or just spin things the way they they want. And well, let, let me tell you, I
2: think, I hope that people have had the opportunity to watch these hearings as much as possible <laughs>
7: in, in in
2: live form or, or or word for word form. I mean, and that's because I think that there was a deliberate in, intention to uh, manipulate the media in this particular case. And, and, and Art, I've got an example or two if. So I got time here. All right. Um, one is the constant bringing up of the National Rifle Association. The National Rifle Association, uh, uh, apparently, one individual uh, who was investigating this matter in some relation with the National Rifle Association misrepresented herself to potential witnesses as, as being associated with the Congress. If that occurred, I can't defend it. Defensible.
1: Right. There were a number of officials in the in the White House, uh, Congressman, who expressed um, worry prior to the hearings that these hearings would be used as an agenda to hurt gun control. And I thought those very interesting statements. Well, but the
2: point is, this testimony is available for everyone to see. It is. Nobody has indicated, assuming that this misrepresentation occurred. It sounds like it to me. No one has explained how that has anything to do with the actual hearing, in terms of witnesses testifying uh, with their own testimony. No one has been able to relate. Although the act, speaking of accusations, uh, the accusations been made because of that incident. The hearings are tainted. Nobody has ever explained logically how, assuming that one uh, that incident occurred, how that has at all affected. The witnesses who've testified, and the purpose of that is to uh, get the news media to uh, focus on the National Rifle Association rather than on the Waco hearings, which might show uh, additional uh, failures of the government on the government side of this. <laughs> uh, I can give you a, a more, in my mind, heartrending example. But on the very first day uh the uh, certain members of Congress uh brought in a young lady to still a child really yes to testify that she had been uh sexually assaulted uh raped by david koresh at ten and uh, at ten that's right and uh uh I found her testimony believable, but the point is why was it there? Uh, David uh, David Koresh was not being investigated by the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms for child rape. Outrageous as that offense is, the BATF was investigating him and was was putting together this search warrant and this raid for firearms violation. And I believe that testimony was introduced, and particularly with no effort made to conceal the child's identity, uh, which is normally the case in a child abuse uh, uh, trial. Uh, I think, to, to dominate the media, and, and it worked like, like a charm. I'm, I'm sorry the media was so predictable, but the headline...
1: Actually, I thought it started the, uh, several days before that, the day before the hearings began, or actually the Friday night before they began. NBC did a big show uh, on Waco that I thought, on balance, was quite pro-government. And so there was a big media drive and a very, I, I must uh, actually in a way compliment uh, the Democrats for getting that young lady up there from a public relations point yes, of view. They did
2: exactly what they wanted to do. Oh, the no, headlines no. in a certain Washington paper that's supposed to be a respectable paper, the front page headlines, talked about David Koresh's lust.
3: Exactly. This is not one of the
2: tabloids now. Uh, uh Another national newspaper on the following Monday summarized uh, three days of testimony, but really only summarized the the, 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 the the sexual assault on this child. And all of that was calculated, in my judgment, to keep other information from getting into the news media. Like, for example, the child abuse caseworker from the state of Texas, who was familiar with the Davidians, who had been out there, uh, uh, testified that this raid was a fatal mistake. And her words, uh, I reviewed them enough, and I think I can quote them, when I saw on television ladders going up at the compound, I knew children were going to die. Now, that's testimony that's far more related to this actual incident and what was being investigated by the BATF.
1: Nor even the local sheriff uh, in Waco who said, you know, they really should have come to me. It didn't all have to happen this way. We know the people out there.
2: Right, but if you don't want that information to get, get in the news media, how do you prevent it? And the answer is you... you uh, you bring out the fact that David Koresh had a perverted sexual interest, and the news media will swarm to it like bees to honey, and that's exactly what happened. And they knew that that was going to happen.
3: Uh,
5: you
7: know, I
2: trust. I trust. I should add this because one of the accusations has been, if you say what I say, you're somehow defending child rape. Nonsense. Uh, it's just what was this raid all about? And it was about a firearms violation. Allegation. It wasn't about a, a child molestation case.
1: Either way, Congressman, uh, most people, I think, would say whether it was firearms or whether it was uh, child molestation, nothing for 90 people or more to die for.
2: Well, the issue is how did they handle the case when they got the case?
3: <clears throat>
2: and given the fact that that it's being stated that a lot had to be done for the benefit of the children, you have to ask, at, from the beginning raid to the final attempt to end the siege with tear gas, was this really done with the idea of protecting children? I mean, al- although there's all these claims... That's what uh, Janet
1: Reno said. We're doing it for the children.
2: Well, um, you know, the, the, the bottom line for the children was it couldn't have been much worse for them the way it came out.
1: Well, our government... And our people in America are splitting. Uh, will wake, Will the Waco hearings Will all the rest of this bring us any closer? Will we be any closer when it's over? Do you guess it's calling for a supposition? But
2: I, I don't think the hearings will necessarily change anyone's view. I, I can tell you that all of us uh, doing these hearings are getting a great deal of mail and phone calls, and I think people's basically pre- preconception about whatever it might be about Waco will stay the same. I think, though, that that the Congress has shown that if there is a subject of immense interest in the public and and uh, of legitimate concern, that we're going to make sure that everything possible comes
1: out. Congressman, we've got to hold it there. We're out of time, and you've got a good bed. you've got a big day coming up. Uh, well,
2: thanks for having me on your program. Thank, I thank
1: you for being here and uh, ask the Attorney General hard questions for us. I'll do my best. Thank you. Thank you, Congressman Schiff from New Mexico.
0: You're listening to Art Bell Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from July 31st, 1995. you Art Bell, Somewhere in Time, on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from July 31st, 1995.
1: We just spent, and you missed if you're joining us at this hour, two hours with New Mexico Congressman Stephen Schiff. We spent one of those hours on the Roswell GOA uh, GAO uh, report, and the whole Roswell incident was fascinating absolutely fascinating as the congressman said he was with regard to the Roswell film Um, I couldn't possibly recount all he's got to say but uh, the upshot of it is there are records missing, permanent records that would have told us what went on at Roswell mysteriously missing records covering a two year period of outgoing messages from Roswell so um, we spent an hour on that. Then we turned our attention in the second hour. You see, Congressman Schiff is also on the Waco committee. And the congressman, of course, is in Washington, where it is now <laughs> a little after 4 o'clock. He's going to have a rough day. And um, we talked about Waco for an hour. And those of you that heard that interview are welcome to comment. Those of you who did not, you might recall uh, that beginning at 4 a.m. Pacific time, in other words, a little less than three hours from now, we will repeat those two hours of interview with Congressman Schiff. So if your radio station carries the repeat hour or two, you will get it. If not, I'm sorry you missed it. We'll try to repeat it soon. Now, uh, welcoming... Um, KVNA AM in Flagstaff, Arizona. Welcome to the network. Good to have you on board. They're a big one, 10,000 watts, 600 on the dial in Flagstaff. Uh, W-A-Z-L-A-M in Hazleton, Pennsylvania. Welcome. Good to have you along. They are uh, 1,000 watts on 1490 in Hazleton, Pennsylvania. And one other, and a big one at that, uh, W-A-R-A-A-M in Attleboro, Massachusetts, um, transmitting over uh, very uh, very nicely, thank you, to uh, Providence, Rhode Island. So, now you're about to learn what our program really is. Uh, interviews are rare. We do have them when they are relevant. Congressman Schiff <laughs> was certainly relevant. I'm going to hold my East of the Rockies line open for a, this hour, at least this hour, for people in Hazleton, Pennsylvania, or listening to um, a WARA in Attleboro, Massachusetts. The East of the Rockies number is 1-800-825-5033. So Massachusetts, Rhode Island, um Anybody listening in that area or our other new affiliate in Hazelton, we will hold the East of the Rockies line open for your listeners. Now, one other announcement. This is a big one. This is an important one. Listen to me very carefully, please. We, by special permission of Ray Santilli, the man who possesses the alleged Ros- Roswell uh, uh, film, we are in possession of five very special photographs. They are to be published in the newsletter. I told you the deadline for ordering to get the issue with the Roswell photographs was coming. I got the following memo from the network today. Quote, we are so swamped with newsletter orders that we need to cut off the September issue very soon in order to get it out on time. I know you've been warning the people about this. The final cutoff for Visa or MasterCard orders will be 6 a.m. West Coast time, Wednesday morning, when your tape replays go off the air. That's it. When you go off the air around the country, the deadline is passed for getting the September issue. So which goes out, uh, of course, in early August. So that's it, folks. That's the deadline. If you want to order our newsletter, and we've got all five of these photographs. And by the way, I was told earlier today they're going to devote four of them, the four best photographs, a half page each in the newsletter. This is going to be a collectible. You know, in the end, whether this turns out, as the congressman uh, suggested, uh, he said, well, it's a hoax, it's the best one I've ever seen. And I absolutely agree with that. It's going to be a giant story either way. If it's a hoax, it's the biggest and best ever done. If it's not, these are pictures of an alien being. Uh, if you would like uh, our newsletter, Oh by the way, next month I'm going to stick in a picture of Max the Crystal Skull. <laughs> You're not going to want to miss that. And uh, my, well, I think I'll put a picture of my studio in there. I've been mulling that over. I think I will do it the next month. So uh, we are our newsletter is getting bigger, better at a very rapid pace. To order our newsletter, uh, it is now too late to order it by tele or by uh, uh, by mail. So you must call, and I recommend you do it beginning now. All right, a little bit of the news. Hurricane Aaron seems strange. That would be A, B, C, D, E, the fifth hurricane of the year already. Um, Arguably just a Category 1 hurricane, very wet, 10 inches of rain, 75-mile-an-hour winds, All of that may increase. It is headed straight for the Florida Keys. Tens of thousands of people are evacuating. It will hit as late, um, perhaps as midnight tomorrow. Um, Actually, the sooner the better, frankly, since the more time it spends over warm water, uh, the more energy it's going to be able to collect. I've got a feeling this is going to be an awful hurricane season. And this is only the beginning, I'm sorry to say. I believe that our weather is in the process of a change. wonder how many of the rest of you believe that. Now, Waco. We just spent an hour on this. Hot stuff. Um, the co-chair of the hearings, uh, Congressman Bill Zeliff, accused President Clinton of ordering the CS gas attack and then covering up his role. This is a damn serious accusation. The White House is very angry. They have reacted very angrily uh, to it. Janet Reno will be testifying before the Waco hearings later on this morning before a no-doubt bleary-eyed uh, uh, Congressman Schiff and others. I know he's going to be bleary-eyed. And it should be quite a day. Representative Zeliff, uh, Zeliff was asked over the weekend on Meet the Press, what is the most important question she, Jean, Janet Reno, is going to be asked. His response was, why did she approve the plan to gas almost 90 Americans? What information was she given? Who did she share the decision with? There are going to be some very critical questions asked in the morning, very critical. There will come a moment where she's going to have to look them in the eye and tell them whether or not she told the president whether she was communicating at all with the president or made the decision unilaterally, hard to believe. As the congressman said, she was there two weeks. She was brand new. Would she take such a decision all on her own? Is she going to fall on her sword in the morning? What do you expect her to say? And then, um, as I asked the congressman, what troubles you more? To find out the president knew, uh, in fact, uh, was uh, very much uh, part of the decision-making at Waco, or that he didn't know a thing about it? was, um, what's the old expression? Out of the loop. I <laughs> think he was out of the loop. And if he was, uh, that is troubling. If he has knowledge of uh, what went on, if he in fact ordered the attack, and he is covering it up, then the congressman said, and I agree, it, that's probably the more serious of the two. So there you have it, Waco uh, at a critical junction. It's going to be a very important day. We'll be right back. <laughs> big, big merger. Disney bought Cap Cities ABC for $19 billion. Holy mackerel. It makes uh, the two of them uh, Mickey Mouse and... Uh, ABC Cap Cities coming together will make them the number one entertainment company in the world. ABC stock went up $22 a share. People made fortunes overnight. All of this done on a golf course. <laughs> the deal, I guess, was cut on a golf course. Amazing. ABC programming, they say, will not change dramatically. Uh, they own a lot of TV and radio stations, in fact, ones I broadcast on. But uh, a lot of the ABC television affiliates will have, uh, through their network now, more access to programming, Disney programming. So it is, but the latest um, and the biggest of a lot of takeover bids. Uh, a lot of rumors out there. Westinghouse wants CBS. You know, Ted Turner wants CBS. Westinghouse is said to be ready to um, offer about $5 billion in a bid trying to get CBS. We'll see. The revolution is well underway. There is in the background the telecommunications bill winding its way through Congress, a threatened veto, I might add now, by the president. You think he'll really veto this? Billions of dollars are at stake. It, uh, it's all about virtually a connection to all American homes. AT&T said they've got their whole company on the line. The bill would deregulate uh, entire industries, cable, for example. It would allow all phone companies to compete in nearly every category with each other. It would allow networks like ABC to buy more stations, television, and radio. Now, there are two views to take uh, about what's going on, about uh, the merger, about the bill winding through Congress. One view would be that there'll be more choice, more competition, and that's good for you, that's good for me. That means we get more choice, uh, competitive pressure increases, Prices fall. That would be my view. Another would be that, oh no, America's communications is consolidating into the hands of a few very powerful people who will now, more than ever, control the flow of information to all of us. I personally take the first view. It's the same reason I oppose... Uh, any return to some, co- some so-called fairness doctrine, the very diversity of broadcasting in America, television and radio, um, precludes the need for any kind of further regulation and cries out for less. The less regulation we have, the more diversity we will have. And uh, with that diversity, uh, it makes any any thoughts of a so-called fairness Doctrine, ridiculous. That's my view. You may want to argue that. If you do, you're welcome to. Last week, House Speaker Newt Gingrich said he thinks Vincent Foster did not commit suicide. Quite a uh, thing to say. Which means, of course, he thinks Vince Foster was murdered. So you have to imagine, he imagines a cover-up. Let me tell you what William Sapphire of the New York Times said over the weekend on Meet the Press. Thought it was good. He said, Vince Foster's suicide was related to Whitewater. The files on that were taken the night Vince Foster, in quotes, committed suicide. If he did, something is being hidden or not, but nobody ever says this. This is the question. Quoting William Sapphire, quote, Did Governor Clinton take a bribe? Then, did he as president obstruct the investigation into it? End quote. That's a damn good question. Do you believe our president took a bribe? And did uh, he then further obstruct the investigation into that? But Sapphire went on to say exactly what I told you last week. This won't, he said, uh, or will not, lead to impeachment. The Republicans want Bill Clinton there to run against. Both of these, if true, would be horrible indictments of everything that we are and think we believe we are and as Congressman Schiff said, let people laugh. You know, there are a lot of people out there who ridicule his efforts to, you know, try to find out what really went on at Roswell. And any time you mention UFOs or any of the rest of it, it makes it easy uh, for the um, uh, the talking heads out there to laugh and say, oh, isn't that ridiculous, and all the rest of it. But as he pointed out, we do have this thing called the First Amendment And he believes, and I believe, the American people have the right to know whether it concerns Roswell or Waco or Whitewater and the Vince Foster death. We've got a right to know. But look at what this story is saying. It's saying that there is something here, William Sapphire, saying, yes, this is very serious. And the question is whether the President of the United States took a bribe, then obstructed the investigation into that. If he did, that's an impeachable offense. Clearly impeachable. But then Sapphire is going on to say, but there's not going to be any impeachment because the Republicans want him there to run against My god, that's an, uh, it's really a terrible indictment when you consider it of, of both possibilities, isn't it? One, that we've got a president that committed a cover-up, the allegation, that would be equivalent to her, even greater than, uh, in importance, uh, what Richard Nixon did, but we're not gonna do anything about it because we're worried that he'd be impeached or he'd have to, uh, um, resign and go back to arkansas or wherever it is that he would go and it wouldn't be used because the republicans want to win the election now that's pretty damning no matter which way you look at it. all right we're gonna break here at the bottom of the hour i've got new affiliates in attleboro massachusetts and Hazleton, pennsylvania and so everybody else hold off on the east of the rockies line and let them get through Calling uh, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Pennsylvania, 1-800-825-5033. It's the number, 1-800-825-5033.
0: You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time, on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM, from July 31st, 1995. Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight's program originally aired July 31st, 1995.
1: Here's the deal. Uh, For the next uh, 25 minutes, it is an honor we bestow on new affiliates. You never know last-minute technical troubles or not, whether you get on the air or not, as they say. But um, we are welcoming uh, WARA in Attleboro, Massachusetts, uh, transmitting on into Providence, Rhode Island. N.W.A.Z.L. in Hazleton, Pennsylvania. So if you're listening to either one of those two affiliates, we're holding a special line open for you, and only you, uh, for about 25 minutes here. Uh, it's 1-800-825-5033. 1-800-825-5033. And then we'll open it up wide at the top of the hour for anybody east of the Rockies, normally that's what that line is for. First time caller line, you're on the air. Hi. Hello there.
9: Art. Yes. This is Ray Collins from Federal Way, Washington. Hello, Ray. How you doing? Okay. Hey, I love your show. listen to Thank it you. every night. Something I've been thinking about this Waco thing. Yes, sir. Um, up here a few years ago, there was a, one of the federal government's most wanted uh, holed up at a house over on, I believe, Ashon Island. Strangely enough, he was burned out. Mm -hmm. Uh, A few years later, there was Gordon Cull back east somewhere. seems to me he was burned out.
3: Mm -hmm.
9: It was my understanding also that the uh, uh, Randy Weaver thing, uh, there was talk about trying to burn out Randy Weaver. Now the Waco thing just kind of makes you wonder.
1: Well, I guess it's making a lot of people wonder. There's a big survey today showing three out of four Americans do not trust the government. And uh, I'm afraid that's increasing all around us. I don't know what we do about it. Um, Congressman Schiff uh, was wise enough to say that after the Waco hearings, he doesn't think uh, that it's going to change a lot of minds on either side. And cynicism in America that is dangerous. I believe, uh, thank you for the call, that it is absolutely dangerous. Where it's going, I don't know. You're listening to live talk radio because whatever radio station you're listening to uh, is uh, nice enough to put it on for you this time of the morning instead of somebody's uh, regurgitated repeats. Uh, east of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Hello there. No, you're not. Uh, wild Card Line, you're on the air. Good morning.
6: Uh, this is not easy, right? Uh, this is the Wild Card Line. Yes, it is. Yes. Uh, this is a Shadow. Uh, the reason why I called, I, I want to ask you three questions uh, or three things I want to mention. Uh, first of all, uh, my dad lives up in Crescent City. I was wondering any uh, station you could recommend uh, that might be up there that he might be able to pick up that's up at the top of the border of California and Oregon.
1: Crescent City, you know, it seems to me like uh,
6: the, the, the closest I would think would be Portland, but I could be wrong. Maybe we have one in Chico Station.
1: Uh, oh yes, uh, of course we have Chico. K P A Y and Chico on
6: 1060. Uh huh. the other question is, you know, you have a lot of people that don't have fax machines and stuff like this. Yes. And they want to get a hold of fax. They can go. Those uh, people can go to what you call uh, uh, photocopy stores. And send is, a fax. Right, right. Some of them are open 24 sure. hours. Oh, that's right. And uh, that should be mentioned, although I've tried to fax you from there, because I don't have a fax, and, and i got a busy signal. I've tried that a couple of times, and so I understand maybe this as difficult as calling on the phone. I don't know if that's true or not.
1: Well, actually, faxing is cheaper uh, than almost anything else you can do, because you can uh, disgorge a fax across the country at this time of the morning, uh, in about 15 seconds. So the price of a one-minute call across the country early in the morning is um, very, I mean, it's pennies. So right.
6: Well, one, one, time, one morning I was trying it. Like I got off work, and I tried it at 6.20, and I was just trying it for about five minutes. And I was surprised. It, it was busy, and they couldn't get through.
1: Mm-hmm. All right, sir. Thank you uh, very much. And again, reminding you, holding open... Um, for about another 20 minutes uh, our East of the Rockies line for people who are listening to W.A.Z.L. in Hazleton, Pennsylvania, and W.A.R.A. Uh, in Attleboro, Massachusetts 1-800-825-5033 As usual, it is clogged up with people who aren't hearing me and so they can't get through. I sure would like to let them get through I try to do this for new affiliates from time to time as sort of a way to celebrate their arrival. Now, the Packwood hearing. The Senate Ethics Committee decided today it's not going to hold public hearings, so we're not going to hear about it. Hmm, wonder what prompted that. Barbara Boxer is trying to throw it all open. I don't think she's going to do it, a lot of it would embarrass a lot of people, and so they're going to do it behind closed doors. But they promised to release all the information. you got to wonder if it will come through a relative of the guy who dealt with the information down at Roswell. O.J. Simpson, Marsha Clark now saying she can prove the bloody gloves worn by the killer belong to none other than O.J. Simpson, that uh, they've got uh, pictures... Uh, from football games of years past, showing O.J. wearing what else? Those very gloves. I've got a lot on Susan Smith this morning as well, and we'll get to that. Wildcard line, you're on the air. Good morning. Yeah, Arbel. Yes.
10: Yes, I'm going to say that um, your your format is getting too plain. I, in my region, I don't get the uh, your after night, you know, your uh, your other show. And you don't talk more about adverse things like aliens and stuff like that. You're getting too political, like Rush Limbaugh.
1: <clears throat> well, it's a different thing every night, sir. And uh, well, well, I
10: know. I listen every night.
1: Well, then you heard me. Didn't you hear me do an hour with Congressman Schiff on Roswell this morning? No, no, I didn't. What about After Dark? Gee, I'm sorry you missed that.
10: Was that a good one?
1: Uh, Well, uh, gee, Congressman Schiff is the one who uh, got the investigation going, sir. But about you, Roswell, don't you know about that? Yes,
10: of course I do. Yes, I do because I listen to you all the time.
1: Well, then you missed it.
10: But um, you're getting too streamlined, too political, like Rush Limbaugh.
1: No, I'm not. you, I will, not, I now. will, I will discuss anything on any given night, sir. Do, you, uh, do Wait a minute. What you, wait a minute, Wait a minute. What about your wait a minute. Wait a minute. Do you hear? Do you hear Rush doing that? No, no I do not. No, you do I not. But I hear
10: you. I hear you talking only about political people about political situations.
1: Then you're not listening.
10: I listen every night.
1: Well, if you listen every night, sir, then I, I just pointed out to you, not more than two hours ago, I spent a whole hour on Roswell. Where were you?
10: I was not I was not there.
1: Well, whose fault is that?
10: That is mine, yes, I agree.
1: Have, have a good night, sir. <laughs> East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Yeah,
11: hello.
1: Where are you, sir?
11: I am in North Dakota
1: holding this line open right now for people in massachusetts rhode island and pennsylvania oh i'm sorry then I, oh, that's I'm, all right i'm i'm the Rockies. So. oh you are you are yeah. all right sir thank you uh give us a call back in about 17 minutes i'm giving them 17 minutes to get through they may not make it because of what you just heard um people i know don't uh they just don't hear everything but i'm trying i'm trying west of the rockies you're on the air hi Whoops, Push the button. Now you're on the air. Hi.
12: Oh, hi, Art. This is Susan out of Palm Springs. Haven't talked to you for a while.
1: Hi, Susan.
12: How are you doing? Okay. Well, good. I have to disagree with the previous caller. Um, If he is listening, uh, you, you do get into many diverse things. But it just happens to be that there are a lot of political... Uh, things that are of much relevancy right
1: now. Yeah, we talk about current events, you know. Oh,
12: yeah, and I just, I wanted to mention, you know, the, uh, the quake that hit, um, South America, Chile yesterday.
1: Alright, let me read you a couple things. Don't worry about time. I want to read you a couple things. I want to get your reaction to them, ma'am. Um, and I'll begin with this one. Uh, Dear Art, my heart sank today when I rented a car out to a family traveling to Palm Springs. I've been following the predictive cycle laid out by Gordon Michael Scallion, and he was right on the money with this latest 7.8 in Peru. Do you have any knowledge of the timetable for the next one? We're all aware that Charlie Liberal stands on shaky ground. Art, I hope Gordon Michael Scallion is wrong. And this, Art, concerning Gordon Michael Scallion's quake scenario. According to his last newsletter, he said he believed the sequence has begun. He went on to say, if there is a 7-plus earthquake in the South Pacific, then it has begun. A few days later, New Zealand was hit by 7.1. A few hours ago, this was some time ago now, Chile was rocked by a 7.8 quake, followed by numerous very strong afterquakes... Hours after that, Tokyo hit by a five-plus. Looks like it's underway, Art. Chile was the third phase of the scenario, and you know what's next. I'm only ten minutes from the ocean and 15 minutes south of San Francisco. Say a prayer for us. Uh Is that about right, ma'am?
12: Did that just come in, Art? Yes, ma'am. Oh, did, want to talk about the Celestine prophecy? Talking about things and coincidental things. That's a little more than a gut feeling. What's your cat doing? Is is he adjusting any better?
1: Oh. Is he still
12: launching off your knee?
1: Um. What you mean, my big cat? Yeah. Um. That
3: because
1: that that one's healing right now. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he really got me. Uh. Our little cat is great. She <laughs> now it's to the point where about half the time they'll fight but the other half of the time he'll sit there and let her lick his face.
3: Yeah.
1: So we're kind of at that stage now. Yeah, but I'm I'm being very careful. I mean, can you imagine what it's like? i got the 16-pounder on my lap, and the little one who loves the death, just loves people, doesn't yes. care two cents and will come crawling over and crawl up on my neck while the big one's on my lap. That's really not, that's like a rocket ship ready well, to go off. Well, I think
12: it's on. really something how you found Shadow, how huh? it just came right up, you know, right on your shoulder. Yes. Well, we're cat people, too, so. Well, anyway, so that, I guess this call just kind of proves the guy wrong. With, you just don't talk about political issues either.
1: No, we don't. Yeah. All right, thank you. We'll talk about anything you want to talk about. That's the whole idea of live talk radio, or at least my version of live talk radio. Now, I'm in the middle of writing a book right now, and I appreciate Rush. And, um, you know how much of a political animal I am. So we talk about a lot of that, whatever happens to be going on. But there is more to life than that. And so there is more to this show than that. And I like the open format. I am convinced that those talk hosts, unnamed for the moment, who criticize open line talk radio, would be well served of themselves by trying it, giving it a shot. Wouldn't hurt them a bit they could uh, probably do it uh those with enough talent uh, could handle varied subjects and and i think should and i think it is the direction that we will force eventually talk radio to go into it's much more entertaining i don't like being stuck on any single subject east of the rockies you're on the air hello
13: Yes, hello, Art. Yes, sir. This is, uh, Frank from Longview.
1: Longview, Washington?
13: No,
1: Texas. Texas. Uh, Frank, we're holding this open for Massachusetts, oh. Ro- Rhode Island, okay. and Pennsylvania. Head my radio off. All right, thanks for the call. But they can't get in because everybody else is trying to get in. So let me try one last time here. Uh, I may have to give up on this idea of letting affiliates trying to get through, try to get through when they're new because, because there are too many people out there. Nevertheless, once more, he says, if you're listening to WARA in Attleboro, Massachusetts on 1320, or WAZL in Hazleton, Pennsylvania, and only if you're listening to those. Call us now at one eight hundred eight two five It is a free call. We're trying to celebrate your affiliates joining us, but that line is jamming up with other people who just aren't listening. The number is one eight hundred eight two five five zero three three. 825
14: 5033 West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi. Hi. Um, I was calling to... uh my view on the death sentence.
1: On the death sentence?
14: Yeah, like, on capital that... punishment itself. All right. Um, it, it kind of—I kind of feel like that's something that should be really used very carefully. It's sort of like it seems like people just use it as a form of revenge almost. I really feel that that should be something that should be used in something to somebody that I don't know. How can I put this?
1: Well, all right. Let's get specific. Susan Smith in. Uh south carolina
14: i feel she should not get the death sentence
1: that she should or shouldn't
14: shouldn't because of the fact that she did something as malicious as it may be was not really a danger to society as a whole mm-hmm. and i think someone that proved himself to be a danger to society as a whole say charles manson would deserve the death sentence because you're protecting society and its
1: existence well i don't know if i follow that or not um i also did not think uh, Under the circumstances, and there were mitigating circumstances for the sentence, I mean, she did the crime, but generally in murder, pre-planned, pre-thought, premeditated, cold-blooded murder, I am a believer in the death sentence. Hmm. However... Uh, not in that case, and that, that, you know, that takes a lot of explanation. I appreciate your call, sir. East of the Rockies, you are on the air. Hello there.
9: Hello. Uh, actually, I'm calling on request. I have a, you, I have a near and dear friend of mine who lives in, uh, uh, Phoenix, Arizona, who called me up all frantically and insisting that I call you. <laughs>
1: because, <laughs> because
9: I live in Rhode Island.
1: I see. <laughs> and,
9: uh, I, I live in Westerly, Rhode Island, and I, yeah, I, yeah, I understand you have a radio show on, uh, uh, thirteen hundred now, and I, I I I'm up in the evening, of course, as I am right now.
1: Actually, I, I, it's uh thirteen twenty in uh, from Attleboro, Massachusetts, and uh, I would imagine you'll I all be all able here, to get that no fine, problem. Yeah. I would think so. Yes. I
9: can. I uh, like I said, I live in Westerly, Rhode Island. You're a so you're a political sort of. Sort of you like Rush Limbaugh?
1: I enjoy Rush. I don't do my program as Rush does. Oh. In other words, I don't limit uh, discussion to politics by a long shot, and there are some nights when we uh, we never talk about it.
9: Oh, how long is your program?
1: Five hours. Five hours. Five hours.
9: Are they? Do they carry the whole show, or do they just?
1: Well, I I believe that there you'll get four hours of the show okay. from uh, two to six in the morning oh. your time.
9: Oh well, I'll I'll certainly uh, try to listen. I I. Uh, goodness gracious! I don't know what to say. Well, uh, but I am I? Are you you're nationwide? I take it, of course. And oh yes. Oh wow! Well,
1: uh, About 194, actually five or six affiliates now, something like that. Well,
9: congratulations to you, sir. Thank you. Uh, I, I, I I'll, I'll clear the line because I, I, right, like I, I don't have much to say. I'm my a, I, my pre- friend called me. Uh, hello, Ian. And, All right. Uh, and I'll uh, see you later. I All
1: right. Hello, Ian, and I'll see you later. We're going to take uh, just a little bit of a sample of uh, what's out there right now. West of the Rockies, good morning. You're on the air. Uh, Dr. Democrat. Well, Doc, you're going to have to give us a few words of great wisdom on this side of the hour and then wait.
11: Okay, uh, we'll start off with uh, Janet Reno's hearings today.
1: Oh, uh, that ought to be quite so.
11: She's going to make the Republicans look like monkeys.
1: Oh, you she's think she's going she to pop go- the floor with Republicans? Rip us up, huh?
11: Especially Mr. Zelik So? For having... She, uh, he has absolutely no proof that Clinton made the uh, decision. And she's just going to make him look like a fool that he is. And show it, And Charles Schumer is, too.
1: All right. On that note, Doc, uh, hold on while we all consider that incredible statement you just made. That somehow you know that Zelef has got nothing to back it up. Hmm. Fools. I will look like fools. Well, we'll be
0: right back. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere inside. Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from July 31st, 1995. Art Bell, somewhere in time. Tonight's program originally aired July 31st, 1995.
1: Live, unscreened, talk radio, all night long, from the high desert to the nation and well beyond, I might add. Dear Art Bell, the whole point, as well as the, this is in quotes now, success, end quote, of Waco, was to establish the position of, hey, you Christians, don't mess with us. Be afraid as well and don't own guns Dave in San Diego I think that was the message certainly uh, many have received it that way and this Art, of course we're all wondering of what religious belief you uh, adhere to sometimes it seems obvious until you deny as well as distance yourself from any commitment from the topics heard on your show Michael Reagan says he's a Christian what shall we say of Art? A religious moderate a believer in art bellism yes Kate in Loves Park Illinois it's true I have a religion I call it the religion of the mirror and I go in and I chant uh, at my own reflection in the mirror (laughs) I uh, Kate I have no structured religion to answer your question I don't mind answering it straight out I believe in a maker believe in our God, I believe in Jesus. I guess that makes me a Christian, eh? Uh, but I am a privately religious person, Kate. I was baptized a Lutheran. I went to Sunday school when I was a kid. I, uh, I have doubts and concerns and worries and hopes and dreams and curiosities about our maker and about religion, but I have no specific religion, Kate. I spent a lot of my life searching investigating many religions, some of them odd, some of them mainstream. And I never settled on any Kate, so I don't know what that makes me. Uh, you imagine the mirror, if you wish. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi. Mr. Bell. Hi. It's a pleasure
15: to talk to you. And to you, sir. Uh, first of all, I'd like to uh, say that I really appreciate your show. Thank you. Um, you helped take the ill out of Lonely Nights. <laughs> Where are you? I'm in Bozeman.
1: Bozeman, Montana. Montana, okay. Yes, sir. Uh, the reason why I called... Uh, I wanted to tell you my Bigfoot story. You have a Bigfoot story? Yes, I do. Did you hear the scream that might have been Bigfoot that we had on Dreamland? Uh, no, I didn't. I missed that. Oh, too bad. It was. It was...
15: <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Nice. Um, yeah, uh, it was uh, 1978, about 20 miles west of Denver. I'm really nervous. Okay, so, <laughs> excuse me. Uh, I made a buddy of mine. I was 13 years old basically what, what what we've done is we kind of snuck out of the house at night, you know
1: i, mean, I, I did that in my day
15: um yeah. and uh
1: can I mention last names
15: oh uh, no okay um and uh this was uh lookout mountain Road Relier park, and we come around the corner and there's a there's a recreation area on the right side they have company picnics in there and they got a baseball diamond and picnic tables, etc. right and there's this thing standing on the pitcher's mound. Really beating a dead dog with a stick. Beating a dead dog with a stick? Yes, sir. Uh, about nine feet tall. wasn't human. Uh, could tell that right away. Uh, right across the street is the Jefferson County Nature Center, and there's a big stone gate. Yeah. And uh, we, it's about a hundred yards away, and there's about a sixty mile an hour chinook wind blowing. We get behind the gate, and we're watching this, and it's got this dog by the tail, and it's beating this dog on the head. Uh, with it had the dog in the left hand, stick in the right, um, holding it out, you know. And, uh, my friend's name was Jody. And, uh, I turned to him and I whispered, I forget what I whispered, I think I said, you know, can you believe this or, you know, whatever. This thing turned its head towards us.
3: <laughs>
15: and we're talking 100 yards.
3: Yeah.
15: Uh, heavy wind. We were downwind from it. Right. It took off running, covered. 200 yards in, I'd say, four seconds, hmm. and um, galvanized ranch gate. Maybe we ought to call him Fastfoot. <laughs> yeah, but uh, um, you know the UFO thing. You know, I think there's a relationship uh, between the two, um, and a related story in 1984, which about six years later. Uh, friend of, uh, friends of mine on the mountain, David and Wendy, they found a human hand in their uh, in their dog pen. Bad. And uh, they called the cops. The cops came up. The cops traced it, and they found uh, this tourist from New York City buried in this in this uh, snowdrift without a hand. And they they basically ne- they they never ascertained if it was uh, 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 buried by a human or an animal. Um, I don't know if the, if it's related. Um, but it happened in the same general area.
1: Well, I liked your Bigfoot story most. That was pretty good. Uh, uh, you swear on all that's holy. That's... I swear on it, and, and I have told this story, and I've been ridiculed for it. Um, I've told it in
15: greater detail. You know, I feel that I'm a little its a little more urgent because I'm on talk radio, and, you know. But, uh, well, look, I. Jody, don't... if you're out there, you know who you are, <laughs> um, and everybody out there knows who they are if they ridicule me for it. Um, but I swear to God.
1: Well, I shall not, sir. Thank you very much for the call. It's easy to ridicule. It's easy to uh, criticize. Anybody, as Congressman Schiff said, and there are a lot of small, narrow minds out there who um, can do nothing but criticize, and uh, because it, you know, a certain subject is not of interest to them, uh, they act quickly to jump and make fools of those who would come and tell a story as this young man just did. I appreciate it. I would not uh, uh, try to make a fool of you, sir, and um, I don't do that on this program. These are open lines, and I'll listen to everybody uh, fairly. At least I'll try to. Uh, wild Card Line, you're on the air.
16: Geez, I don't know how to follow that one up.
1: That was a hell of a story,
16: wasn't it? <laughs> yes, Coco go Hey, about three weeks ago, uh old Charlie Shermer was on the T V and he was talking about the C S gas they used in the Waco compound.
3: Yeah.
16: And he mentioned a chemical called methylene chloride. So right. I called my brother the chemist. And uh the statement that Shermer was making that he said, Well, you know, people are accusing us of using flammable liquids in there and he says as a matter of fact, methylene chloride would be a flame retardant.
1: Well, well only, gee, only if it's pooled uh, on on the ground. If it's in aerosol form, in other words, a mist in the air, it's highly flammable. Yeah, and here's the, the, the
16: fine point of the thing. When I talked to my brother, the chemist, he said, well, look, he says anything that displaces air could be termed a flame retardant. You could have pure nitrogen in there, and, of course, you would asphyxiate on that. And he says in certain conditions, and he says it depends on what they're using it for, as a solvent or possibly as a mm-hmm. carrier mm-hmm. of the gas. But yeah. uh, the thing, you know, but this is how they try to twist things around, you know, as far as when they try to. Uh,
1: well, I, I think today is going to be the day when we either get down to the truth of what happened at Waco, or we find out we're never going to.
16: Yeah. One well, other quick thing too on that, Vince Foster of him yes. mm-hmm. committing suicide or not. The thing that people just don't seem to want to comment on is the fact of his uh, frequent flyer miles to, um, to Switzerland, those jet trips he was making over since the late 80s. And what was he doing there for an hour then coming back to the United States? And Nobody's addressed that. So I find that kind no of one curious.
1: can only imagine, and one can imagine a very great deal indeed. Thank you. I don't know. There's something there. There's definitely something there. And again, I object to the entire process. You know what? The fact that there's obviously more in the Vince Foster case. That um, the allegations are it may involve a very serious charge against the president. And the conclusions by many are that even if it's found, it won't be used because of political reasons. I just, I hate the whole thing. I hate the whole thing, and I'm going to say it again. If Americans don't begin to get perceive that they're getting the truth from our government pretty soon, there are going to be dire, dangerous consequences to be paid. Uh, Wildcard Line, you're on the air.
17: Radio Free America. Hello. Yeah, I don't like it much either, but that's the way it's working, unfortunately. You know, we they didn't even ask the questions, Art. You've you, you got to ask the question, why wasn't Sarah Baines uh, called to testify the, the jury for women to trial in Shannon. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, don't give up the ship yet. This is going to be an important day.
17: Why wasn't James Bovard, uh, who we might want to have on your program someday, the the, the uh, journalist from the Wall Street Journal, te- called to testify? Why wasn't anyone uh, from the uh, state uh uh, investigators uh, investigating the uh, child abuse and molestation yeah. charges yeah. called the did down- you
1: did you hear congressman schiff earlier
17: yes i did and also you know they still haven't uh, asked uh, any of these agents about the missing infrared video mm-hmm. the missing audio uh mm-hmm. recordings and the missing uh atf uh um uh, video also uh you know why uh Parkland Hospital was notified uh you know at six o'clock in the morning how many uh, burn uh, units they had in their hospital yet there weren't any there weren't any fire trucks there
1: okay well we've all heard this so many times, sir. we kind of know what wasn't uh, what hasn't been uh, uh, testified to so far
17: but don't you think art that uh, if they don't if they're not gonna, they're not going ask if they're not going to even ask the questions then they're really not trying to get to the truth
1: well I'd be more inclined to be in agreement with you when it's over and it hasn't happened. I mean, it's not over till yet at all, sir. I mean, come on. Well, you know, one of the biggest days is going to be today. Why don't you talk about that? What do you, you know, the, Janet Reno is going to sit there, and they're going to ask her the very hard questions.
17: Uh, I think that, uh, you know, it all ties into uh, something bigger, in my opinion, but uh, we'll see. Like what? Well, uh, it turns out that the converter kits that uh, Koresh was buying comes from, well, Webb Hub, Hubble's uh, uh, father-in-law, Seth Ward's company, Meter. So? It, it, well, uh, you know, if you followed the, uh, the Whitewater story and the MENA connection, uh,
1: the, the, it, it... Oh, uh, I see. So now you're going to... Oh, my. All right. Thank you. So then somehow we're going to connect Waco to Whitewater. I don't know about that. I'm willing to follow a logical train, but um, I, I don't see the train going down that particular track. I think the collision that occurred on the track we're already talking about is sufficient to be examined. Whether or not it will be in fair detail and the American people will perceive when it is over. They have the truth. I guess I admit I'm in doubt. God, this is all so dangerous. I worry so for this country. And you should, too. It's still a great country. Do we really want to screw it up? Do we really want to break faith with the American people to the degree that things become dangerous? Do we want to do that? I don't think so. Wildcard Line, you're on the air.
18: Hi, Art. I'm calling from Fairbanks.
1: Fairbanks, Alaska, yes.
18: yes. Um, one thing that really bothers me, and, and I have a heard anybody really comment on. Maybe I've just missed it. But I get very angry and tired of hearing the cop-out by Doc Democrat and people such as that saying, well, Janet Reno didn't know what the gas was all about. Mm. Why? I mean, this is a lady that is the top decision maker, and she they are going to allow, whether it be Congress or anyone else, to use a cop-out. I didn't know what it was. And then they keep referring to the fact that her biggest concern was molestation of the children. Mm -hmm. That would have been a concern of mine had I been the proper law enforcement agency that should have been looking into that. But that is not a federal offense that feds crossed the line. That would have been the Texas Rangers or the police officers within that area, Mm. which had checked on it and had found no sign of it.
1: I know. I know. But even, even whether, whether you're talking about allegations of child abuse or you're talking about possible weapons violations, none of it, none of it justifies all the people killed. Not
18: a thing. That's, that's the point. And I do not agree with David Koresh. I, I don't know him well enough to disagree. All I know is the way our government handled it was, in my opinion, very improper. They're using cop-outs very cheap cop-outs that the Republicans seem to be allowing them to get away with, Mm -hmm. which I don't understand. Being a Republican myself, a moderate to conservative person, I'm very disappointed in the whole process. I don't really truly understand what's going on here. If there was no intention of ever getting to the truth, they should not have put the American people through this, allowing them to believe that the truth was going to come out. Now, I listened to you prior to the the hearing starting, and you were a man that sounded very excited that now America's going to know the truth. I shared that same feeling, Art. I thought, it's time. But as we've watched the hearings, it's one of the largest farces I've seen pulled on the American people. And even though I am a moderate, conservative, Republican, I am so disappointed in the actions of most of the Republicans involved that I don't see what hopes they have for next year as far as another sweep such as we had in York. You know, I'm
1: starting, thank you, I'm starting to care a lot less about them, uh, the Republican hopes, the Democrat hopes, than I am for America. Is that a nonpartisan expression for you? hmm? Or what? I have hopes, too, and uh, I share a lot of conservative ideology. But I'm frankly scared to death of where we're headed right now. I really mean that. scares the hell out of me. If we're not going to get the truth on Roswell, Waco, Whitewater, if everything has come to the point in America now... Cover up, erase tapes, missing records. In other words, you know we have freedom, supposedly uh, freedom of information. As Congressman Schiff said, the American people have a right. But I think it is fair to ask whether we're going to know any more. And I, I keep coming back to the same point: the gulf between government and the people is getting nothing but wider. And if these hearings end uh, with no clear answers, without the truth having been laid out, then the, the degree of danger goes up about three notches. Don't you all see it? Don't you see what it's going to lead to? West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Oh, I didn't
19: think I'd make it. It's Todd in Berkeley. Hi, Todd. I want to apologize for giving you guys the bum steer about, uh, Dwayne Garrett the other night. I had heard that on the report, uh, papers indicating a suicidal frame of mind, and yeah. my journalism was as sloppy as the Washington Press Corps, and it came out as such.
3: That's all right, Todd.
19: Yeah, strange, though. I got to thinking, uh, 27 little pieces of unsigned paper, uh, also indicating a depressed state of mind are, are given to us as Vince Foster's suicide note unquestioned. Yes. Anyway, uh, I hate to do it again, but something I heard at the top of the news, it's a memo from Mac McCarty. Yes. Did you hear about that? No. Oh, okay. Uh, words to the effect that uh, the White House was to be kept informed throughout the course of the Waco events. that was like March 1.
1: Well, that's, that's what the congressman that I just had on said.
19: Yeah, evidently there's a paper trail, though, if they will
1: pursue it. Well, if they do, and if the president lied to us about this, then, then you've got cover-up, and then you've got a problem.
19: Yeah, this is something I've been wanting to say. That's really damning. I mean, thanks, Republicans. You're doing us a great big favor. You know, thanks for nothing. The, if this guy needs to be gotten out, then damn it, get him out. Mm. Oh, well, they, they just want to weaken President Clinton so they can run against him. What does that say about you know their, their self-image?
1: I think it's damning to both sides. In other words, if they come up with something that would be impeachable, they wouldn't use it. That's damning. That is, if, they, I mean, if, they, if there's something that's impeachable, then he ought not be in there. That's right. damning. But Bo- either way, the whole system is totally—they're
19: they, listening to too many polls because they think it's a dead heat. Uh, yeah. if, you know, if, if my own, you know, man on the street opinion's worth anything, the man hasn't, got, uh, Clinton hasn't got a chance.
1: Well, I wish I believed that.
19: Uh, and Doc Democrat, yeah, he, he's what I call a true believer. I mean, nothing nothing i think would ever come about i you sense.
1: know i would use a different phrase i would say doc democrat is a political operative oh really a spinmeister oh okay he really ought to be in the administration well, well
19: clint could barf in the japanese prime minister's lap and he'd have something good to say about it
1: thank you for the call sir that's right well he was just expressing his feelings about trade policy and i thought he did a great job art i mean what greater way is there to express your distaste for what your host is trying to sell you than throwing up in his lap? It was a masterful political stroke. I'm <laughs> sure Doc would say that. <laughs> These are interesting times to be living through, aren't they? We've got a Category 1, hopefully it will not move to two, Hurricane With a great deal of moisture moving straight toward southern Florida, tens of thousands are evacuating. It's going to be a rough season.
0: You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time, on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from July 31st, 1995. Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from July 31st, 1995.
1: Good morning. Uh, Somebody was kind enough to fax me a copy of the London Observer. The Roswell uh, film autopsy film is making big news now all over the world. It's entitled Scientists Puzzled by Space Alien Autopsy. London. It is either the science story of the century... Or the greatest hoax since Pill Down Man. Either way, television footage of the dissection of two aliens to be screened worldwide late next month is expected to stir considerable controversy. The film was allegedly made in the wake of the Roswell incident, an event famed among ufologists who believe extraterrestrials were indeed found after a flying saucer crashed at Roswell, New Mexico, in 1947. And that's just a bit of it. It's beginning to make big headlines. Art, read this on the air. I have just downloaded the Roswell autopsy photos. For those who are serious about UFO research, this is a must-have. They had better get your newsletter if they're not active computer users, so they can see these photos immediately. I agree. Art Bell, what do the the four dead BATF agents have in common? The last caller was also right. They tried to kill a lot of birds with a stone at Waco. How can they tell the truth? If they did, there'd be a revolution tomorrow. How about Oklahoma City? I agree. We're in deep. Um, expletive deleted. Dave in Redwood City. Thanks, Dave. Uh, east of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello, Mister Bell. I can barely hear you, sir. Yes, where
11: it's called New Orleans. Yes, sir. Yes. You uh, were surprised at Janet Reno refusing. Our- Refusing to uh, accept any blame for this, acting like she didn't do anything wrong, and and she would, uh, you know, that, that didn't surprise me one little bit. Not, I'm not saying this because of Janet Reno, but because anybody who has had any experience in fighting the federal government, I mean high-level bureaucrats, is going to tell you that bureaucrats have gotten to the point they think they're little gods and they they never admit doing anything wrong. I mean that's just that's just their mindset. You know, what they do is right because they do it, because they can't do wrong. They're incapable of doing anything wrong. I'm sorry, that's that's just the way things have gotten.
1: Well, um, it's to a point now I care much less about them than I do the relationship between the American people and what they perceive as their government. It's getting dangerous.
11: Well, I think it would be a lot more dangerous to people... Uh, sat around thinking that they had a government they could trust when they don't. <laughs> I mean, it's a lot better if they know the truth, if they if they have a, have a have a realistic appraisal of what the government is, and if they
1: sit. around In other there words, and it's cool if we know they're liars because we'll just accept them for that. No, that's not true, sir. No, it's, it's you, not true. I, I understand your argument, but it's it's specious. Uh,
11: read, you read people think that these people are, are truthful and really liars?
1: Um, no. That well. is not better. That is not better. But the knowledge that they are liars will not be accepted quietly, and it's going to lead to something awful. Don't right, you understand?
11: Which, well, the, the point—the alternative then is to, is to just quietly let yourself be turned into a totalitarian state. Do you think that's preferable?
3: <laughs> no.
11: Well, I don't. I mean, that's, that's the alternative. Sometimes there aren't any easy alternatives. You know, I mean, the point is, are people going to just sit, sit around with themselves? Be turned into, into robots, little puppets, or are they going to do something about it now? The, the the alternative may be unpleasant, but, you know, what choice do you have?
1: I appreciate the call, sir. I don't, I don't know. I can tell you that I would not allow that, nor would a lot of Americans of my generation. Now, of the next generation, I don't know. The one that follows that, I don't know. I really don't know. Maybe they will follow along like so many modern sheep. I don't know. I just know that somehow uh, we have got to narrow this credibility gap that is between the people and their government. And if we don't, and if it continues to widen, and if Waco just pushes it further, and after a while, we just take them to be liars, know that we're lied to by everybody that will would say they would lead us, that something awful is going to happen. Really awful. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Good morning,
8: Art. This is Brett in KC, listening to Radio with Attitude, KCMO.
1: KCMO, yes, sir.
8: Um, if you don't mind, I'd like to take you to task on your... Uh... Opinion on the death penalty for Susan Smith. Okay. Um, the, the reason I say that is because uh, you said giving her life, you thought, might be more humane because of her circumstances, correct?
1: Well, that's not quite correct, no. Um, I said, actually, that her time in prison may be more of an actual hell than death would be, and she might welcome death. It's just my personal view that, she was crazy as a loon when she did it. Right. And, and there are a lot of people who've got some of that responsibility in Union, South Carolina. Well, I
8: agree, I agree with you as far as maybe a shared responsibility for her upbringing. But as far as what, what the jury needed to decide, they were, they were trying to decide actual punishment for the crime. Correct. And I think a lot of us get vengeance in our minds when we start thinking of how to punish people. You know, you hear the people that say we should put her in a car and drown her, too. Yeah, I know. Or we should make her live with this the rest of her life with pictures of her kids plastered. I know, I know, I know. I think that she committed a double double murder, killed two people, and that just out of strict punishment, not out of vengeance or, you know, we could discuss reform or protecting society or using her for an example or prevention of this ever happening again, And we can discuss all of these different things, but the actual punishment to fit the crime would be the death penalty.
1: All right, sir. Um, Strictly speaking, you are correct. There are 600 mothers in America every year. This is really sad. 600 mothers who kill their own children every single year. Do you think giving Susan the death penalty would have deterred even one of them? I favor the death penalty as a deterrent. I favor it um, as the Bible suggests an eye should be given for an eye. But only under the worst circumstances, and to me, I'm going to say it again, there was a difference between some guy who runs into a 7-Eleven, points a gun at a cashier, says, give me all your money. The guy opens up, gives him all the money. The guy starts to leave and then thinks no and puts a bullet through the guy's head. A lot of that going on these days. That's a mindless premeditated uh, murder in the commission of a a felony. That deserves the death penalty. However however awful the circumstances early in uh, her life, they don't mitigate the crime for one second. But when I finally got down to assessing whether or not the death penalty was appropriate for this 23-year-old girl, mother, ex-mother, I did look at her life. And I think that at the time she committed the crime, she was nuts. And I think a lot of people contributed to that condition. And do I think we should execute people who are really mentally uh, deranged? No. I guess I don't. And I think there was sufficient uh, testimony to mitigate the sentence portion of the trial, not not the crime itself, but the sentence portion of the trial. She's going to lead a horrible life. Try and imagine 30, 40... 50 years, her entire life, no doubt, in prison, thinking about what she has done. That is hell on earth. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello? Hello? Yes?
10: I'll try your little heart bell. You've got him. All right. Hello? Heart Bill?
1: Yes.
5: Oh, hi. um, Greg from Sacramento, KSP. Yes, sir. Um, first of all Susan uh Smith, you know, she got thirty years obviously and she's under what a thirty day suicide watch right now. And so I, I was only according to Sacramento Bee today she'll be able to thirty days she'll be able to get a cafeteria job or something. And I just can't imagine what the African-American women are going to do to her, number one in any prison, male or female, well, she, crime against she, children, Well, last long.
1: Sir, she will be uh, held in isolation. Uh, she's not going to be out in the cafeteria. Uh, they will understand that somebody would go after her.
5: Well, yeah, uh, there is something about... A, uh, she made an apology through this Felicia uh, guard, I mean tell that, inmates or something, African-American inmates, but, you know, an in any men's prison... I'm sure you yeah, you know, it's obvious, you do a crime
1: against children. Not just African-Americans, sir. Right. Ch- but Chicanos, I mean, saying Chicanos will, uh, cut that. Right. will cut your throat for that. Whites will cut your throat they for that. We all not. know what goes on in prison to people who have committed crimes against children. They oh, don't I last know. very long.
5: I, I And, um, no, I wasn't, I wasn't, in her case, you know, she mentioned that the adeptor originally had
1: been an African-American. Mm-hmm. All right, thank you. Uh, you. You seem to want to get that in a little too many times for my taste. Thank you very much. Uh, there's a lot of people in prison who slit your throat. you commit committed crime against children. You molest child, uh, you go to prison, your chances of getting out are not real good. They will hold Susan, Susan Smith uh, without question in isolation. And as I said, um, it'll be hell on earth for however many years, unless she does commit suicide, and she may she's she's got hell what could be more hellish than to be behind bars for your adult life thinking about what you did truly hellish wildcard line you're on the air
3: yeah
9: thanks for taking my call art mm-hmm. uh, as far as uh, roswell goes like t- uh, two quick topics Um What would be wrong with uh, having the GAO look into the communications of other major UFO sightings that the UFO clubs and watch groups all have very well documented? uh, Well,
1: all all they've got to do is go to people uh, like Congressman Schiff or others who would make such a request of the GAO. And and find out like which was the first
9: UFO sighting after the Roswell incident, and start seeing exactly when records start showing. And because uh, it would be hard to delete just UFO activity off of all of those logs, there there ought to be a paper trail someplace.
1: Well, uh, that all those records are gone. That is the story. The uh, thank you. The Albuquerque Journal, as the congressman will tell you here in a few moments, if you get to hear the repeat. Um, got things way out of context. And uh, the big story should have read. Um, GAO discovers two years of records that would have, would have told us the truth uh, about Roswell to be missing, to uh, have been destroyed without proper authorization by who? By nobody knows who. Two years of records of communications. That would have told us the truth. Gone. Now, what is a mother to think? West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi there, this is Pete in Portland. Ding Hello. Dong, Mr. Bell. Hi, Pete. Well,
4: <laughs> this is Portland, Oregon, the state where uh, even uh, uh, Republican politicians act like Democrats. <laughs>
16: Oh, i
1: got a friend who wants to talk to you.
4: Oh, Art, this is Mickey. We're going to buy Chancellor chance for broadcasting. Then what are you going to do?
1: Well, um, you <laughs> know, that would be something, wouldn't it, to be bought by Disney?
4: Oh, man. I don't
1: know. What is this world
4: coming to? They bought ABC. Are they going to keep Peter Jen- Jennings and, uh, and what's his name on Nightline, Ted Koppel, or what are they going to do? Are they going to send... Uh, it's going well, to you like know, baseball trading. You know, they're going to trade. Uh, David maybe,
1: maybe. To... Now, here's a mental picture for you. All right, mm-hmm. close your eyes and see if you can imagine Ted Koppel wearing a pair of Mickey Mouse ears. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
4: well, I got some bad news for you. All right. Really. And that's that. Uh, the result at Waco didn't really have to happen. <gasps> we had 52 days where we could have gotten together, 20,000 people who believe in the right to free speech, the Uh right to practice religion, the right to keep and bear arms, Uh pack them onto buses, Uh get them down there, run them them through the lines all at the same time, and have them stand there waiting for the tanks, just like Tiananmen Square. It was our Tiananmen Square, and we
1: blew it. What a shock. All right, thank you. Uh, To tell me that, I never thought of that, sir. You mean that Waco actually didn't have to happen? (sighs) What a revolutionary thought. Yeah, try and picture Ted Koppel with Mickey Mouse ears. In fact, a good cartoonist. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Hey, Benson, there's one for you. Draws Ted Koppel with Mickey Mouse ears. See, I just gave you a great idea, just in case you've got cartooners uh, cramp. Uh, First time caller line, you're on the air.
12: Uh, good morning, Art. Hi. Hi. I would like to know what happened to the tape Waco, the big lie, and where is Linda Thompson now?
1: The government confiscated all the copies of that, and um, uh, nobody seems to know where Linda Thompson is.
12: The government confiscated? I have.
1: They came to get mine. They don't have yours yet? No. Really? No. Well, the two guys, they're in suits, you know. Dark, dark suits, and okay. they are the Waco Tape Collection Committee. Uh, seriously, I, um, seriously, Linda Thompson uh, sort of uh, took herself out of the public spotlight by becoming as radical as she did. Yeah. And uh, those tapes still exist, and I've got mine. So that's...
12: And they sure look real to me, and why couldn't they enter this as evidence?
1: Um, because... Uh, in some cases, for example, the famous scene where the tank is seen coming out uh, on the Thompson tape with uh, a flame. Right. If, uh, there, there's more to that video. And if you keep watching, uh, there is a piece of drywall burning and hanging on the tank, but Linda Thompson never shows that in her tape. Uh, oh. mm. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh uh-huh, Thank Th- you. Thank you very much for the call. Uh, east of the Rockies, you're on the air.
13: Yeah, hi, Art.
1: Hello, where are you?
3: This
13: is Mike. I'm calling from St. Louis. Came
1: yes, around. Mike. Uh huh.
13: Yeah, I have listened to you for a couple of years. First time I've ever called. I just can't believe nobody's ever uh, heard of CS gas. It's not tear gas. It's like uh, comparing CS and tear gas is like comparing a BB gun to a .45. Mm-hmm. I was in the Army uh, about early 1970, and uh, they did it to us in Fort Knox, Kentucky, in training, and you can't see, you can't breathe, we have people bouncing off jeeps, bouncing off trees, that, that could answer what, how something could have gotten knocked over, because all you want to do is get into the open air. Sure. There's no, to call it tear gas, is a, is a farce.
1: Well, as Doc said, uh, that's why they punched those convenient little holes in the side of the building.
13: Those people couldn't have seen those holes if they were, with that much gas that they had to. we were in the open air. And we
1: well, it also face. could have been pointed out, sir, that uh, the tanks knocked down the stairwells that would have allowed the people to go downstairs to go out the uh, conveniently opened holes by the tanks.
13: Well, all that I'd like to say to Doc Dumbbell and, and Charlie Chump, I'd, I'd like to see them experience the CS and see what they think and what they have to say about it after that. They good- have a different tune.
1: A good ten minutes of solid inhaling.
13: Yes, oh, you couldn't last a good ten seconds of solid (laughs) inhaling.
1: I know. Thank you very much for the call. Have a good morning. Way short on time, everybody. If you're lucky and you get a repeat of the next hour or two, you will hear New Mexico Congressman Stephen Schiff. First, spend one hour on the subject of Roswell. He's the expert. Then, in the second hour, you will hear a frank... Open discussion of Waco. He's on the Waco committee that within uh, hours, about three hours here, will get underway with uh, testimony by Janet Reno. It should be quite a day, and the next two hours are worth hearing. Either way, I thank you from the high desert. Don't forget, deadline for the newspaper from the high desert. Good night, all.